Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 99 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Before we get into everything, I want to thank everybody for your great support over the last month or so. Um, everything's been going really great for the show. You guys have been awesome. Um, in in um, Just with regards to everything going on with coronavirus, I hope everybody is safe and everybody is doing well. Um, we will do our best to provide good distractions for you. We have tons of content planned. Um, Steve, myself, Kevin Fanto have uh, been recording a lot of retro content to add in and bulk up the shows. Uh, I have a lot of retro and free review stuff going up on the site. And Friday, I'm actually starting a new column, which may become a series, The Isolationist Guide to the WWE Network, where I will break down various things that I feel are great and that you should check out. First column, we'll be looking at a series of great shows I think everybody should watch. Um, That'll be up Friday morning. Joining me today, since it's the Friday night, Thursday morning show, is my good friend Steve Cook. Steven, how are you? I'm doing well, and are you expecting me to chime in about the primetime wrestling once we get to that particular era? I mean, sure. That's what I watch. Yeah, primetime wrestling. We're up to 1989, the mega powers exploding. Best mania to mania build ever, I think, dude. Pretty good. It's a pretty good one. Pretty good one. I mean, and we're in the time period right now where Randy Savage is retelling the events, and uh, there's a little discrepancy in the videos with Savage's and Hogan's uh, recollection of these events. What? I know. There there seems to be some editing going on, some whatnot, and uh, as much as as much as I love the Macho Man, you love the Macho Man. I have to admit that eh, there might have been some editing work going on there. I don't know. I'm telling I you, dude, I am shocked that something in wrestling would not be 100% genuine. Especially from a good citizen like the Macho Man Randy Savage. That's right. That's just shocking to me. <laughs> so, But Steve, as I said, we have, a t- we have a loaded show tonight. You and I are going to talk the news of the week, and i got a lot of news for us to talk about. We're going to talk about AEW and NXT. Um, NXT will be a little briefer just for the fact that it was all video packages. <laughs> it was all video packages. Not so a lot of it's uh, kind of nothing we can really do about that. After we're done with that, Jerome Cuson is going to join me. And uh, we're going to talk about um, just uh, Mania Weekend, the Corona stuff, a lot of that. And then in the closing segment, Kevin Pantoja joins me as we do a retro review of WCW Uncensored 2000. Man, when you talk about the great wrestling pay-per-views of all time, WCW 2000 is right in there with the... You know, all the Uncensored pay-per-views really were just great pieces of business. Obviously. I mean, everybody loved them. There is a suggestion right there for something we need to do. We, we need to do the... was it? Was it 95 rated the Doomsday Cage? We may have to do that one, yeah. We may have to do the Doomsday Cage. That was a good one. With Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage against uh, Alliance and Hulkamania. Oh. Yeah, we, we might have to put that on the schedule, Steve. But I do want to tell everybody, Steve, this weekend we have a fully retro podcast coming out. Would you like to tell the folks what we discussed on Sunday that we're airing this weekend? 
Oh, it was a big time in the world of professional wrestling. If you go back to 1998, when I was a couple months away from being 14 years old, and Larry's a couple months away from being uh, about 40, right? You are about 40 at yeah, that point. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we, it, was a, it was a big turning point for World Wrestling Federation. It was WrestleMania 14, X-rated, as they said. It was Austin versus Michaels with Tyson being the special guest enforcer referee. It was a event that uh, really garnered a lot of attention based off the baddest man on the planet being involved and really got people to know Stone Cold Steve Austin and a lot of the other stuff going on at that point. And we also covered the Raw the next night, which led to a lot of stuff to come down by 98, uh, which helped WDF regain the lead in the Monday Night War, the wrestling wars, if you will, over World Championship Wrestling. That's right. So that one will be up uh, sometime Saturday, maybe Saturday night. And, um, yeah, Steve and I dove into that. We have some plans for some other stuff as well. We also have, uh, between Steve and Kevin, we also have some retro review stuff in the bag. I will give you a little sneak peek here once I open up my uh, my file here. Uh, Kevin and I spoke about NXT uh, Arrival, the very first NXT TakeOver special. And Steve and I took a look back at the NXT TNA number one pay- weekly pay-per-view. Yes, Many yes. moons ago. So we will, uh, we will, um, those will be airing at some point, likely uh, thrown in on a Wednesday here. Because we're not quite sure what we're going to be getting Wednesdays going forward. And uh, that's okay. But uh, before we get into... Uh, AEW and such for tonight, Steve. We have some news to talk about this week. I, I know you're shocked by this. Well, you know, we've been talking about cancel culture for a while now. <laughs> we kind of have. It seems like a lot of stuff's been getting canceled. I don't know. So, um, Steve, I guess the first thing we need to do is we need to talk about something really serious. Kind of the, the biggest news of the week. Yeah. Tom Brady has left the New England Patriots and is heading to Tampa Bay. Steve, what are your thoughts on hashtag Tommy? Well, I, you know, I'm not going to have a popular opinion because I see all these people out there, all these experts going on about how 45-year-old Tom Brady, he's going to have all these weapons now in Tampa Bay. And he's going to take the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl. And Adam Schefter's telling me about how, oh, do you know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be the first home team to play in the Super Bowl. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes because... Steve, they have weapons, goddammit. Do you not yeah, understand this? I don't understand it. I'm tired of, I'm tired of hearing about goddamn weapons, man. I'm just sick of people telling me about, oh, weapons, 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 weapons. I mean, Jameis Winston had those weapons, too. How'd that go? Yeah, where, go... where were all those fucking weapons last year when he was throwing pick sixes all the goddamn time? Yeah, it didn't really work out. And people want to tell, oh, well, Tom Brady was only bad last year because he didn't have anybody to throw to. But man, back in the but when Tom Brady was good, several years back was when he when he made guys that weren't exactly the best. Wide Does everybody forget time. when like Troy Brown was playing offense and defense? Does anybody think that Wes Welker would have been any good anywhere else other than New England with Tom Brady? I dude, he made Edelman. He made um, yeah, Julian Edelman too. By the way, where would he be? Yeah, he made them. He tricked people for a while into thinking Chris Hogan was really good. Seriously, I mean, throw a white guy out there, and maybe that's the theory of Mike Evans. I don't know, but <laughs> you know what it's like. like? You theory. know what it's like, Steve. Yeah. It's that area in the early two thousands when fucking Kurt Angle was working matches with Marty Jannetty and Tatanka, and WWE was like, <laughs> "We gotta fucking sign these guys. They're still great. Look at them out there." 
And yeah. nobody even considered the thought that it was fucking Kurt Angle. Yeah, yeah, but uh, dude, I mean, I think it's become pretty obvious over the past couple of years that Tom Brady is not the Tom Brady of old. I'm sorry, and everybody wants to play forever. And it's just it's this trend in the NFL nowadays where people want to tell me, oh, Philip Rivers is still a great quarterback, or oh, you know, people think that. I mean, Drew Brees missed most of the last season, but he's still a great quarterback. That's people keep telling me all these 45 year old quarterbacks are still good. I don't see it. It just feels to me like when when Joe Namath went to the Rams, when Johnny Nice went to the Chargers, I don't see Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers ending ending too much better than that. I'm sorry, I hate to break it, people, but. Uh, yeah, don't. I would not put my money on Tampa Bay going Super Bowl next year. I'm just saying. I will say this in regard to the older quarterbacks: if all things are even and they're healthy, I would definitely take Drew Brees over the other two. Okay. Because just from everything he just, <laughs> I've enjoyed. I end up seeing a lot of Drew Brees games because uh, on the Fox affiliate here. So yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, I would probably take Drew Brees over them, but you know, Phillip it's just, Rivers. How does Philip Rivers still have a job? I mean, honestly, I don't know. What is that dude. about? But it's uh, it's just funny, and I just kind of wanted to jokingly light, lighten things up a little bit, just because yeah. we've talked a ton of coronavirus and stuff. And how about my boy Tay Bridgewater, Carolina Panthers? How about that? That one like interests that. me because obviously I, like I end up seeing all the Carolina games because I'm here in South Carolina, so. And, and, you know, uh, I mean, Teddy gets knocked on as well because, I mean, as far as versus him versus Cam Newton, I will say that Cam is better at his peak. You know, if, if Cam Newton's at his full power. Yeah, but he's strength, been injured like 37 times since his peak. Exactly. He's not he's not his peak anymore. He's had five shoulder injuries and this and that and getting run over by a truck or whatever the hell happened. <laughs> the guy is just not uh, there anymore. So And the other thing is despite the fact that you know, despite the fact that Teddy Bridgewater basically almost had his leg ripped off and amputated, um, he has adjusted his game well. Also a great clubhouse guy. There you go. Great leader. It's just a guy you can bring in. Coach and let's son. face it, Carolina got they got Christian McCaffrey. They're gonna be mostly a Russian team anyway. So I mean you would think so, yeah. Yeah. So I It'll be fine. Teddy does not. He doesn't make mistakes. He's very consistent, which is something that Cam, even at his best, was never consistent. This is very true. So, so that's our I'm little. I'm excited about that. That's our little wacky NFL talk there. To get into the world of wrestling, Steve, um, it has been announced that WrestleMania is taking place at the WWE Performance Center, but yeah. it was then announced tonight that Rob Gronkowski, who is signed with WWE, will host the event. The event. Which will be a two-day event on Saturday and Sunday. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 whoa, 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 wait. Didn't we, were we talking, how many months ago were we talking about WrestleMania being two nights? A couple months ago when we were talking about New Japan doing Wrestle Kingdom over two nights. Oh, okay, okay, but people thought that wasn't going to happen, right? The, the funniest thing about this whole situation is WWE has decided to do Mania on two nights and they're going to make, like, no money off of it. They really, they won't. Uh, that's great because I don't see uh, you think ESPN is going to buy into this thing no. um, I think the whole pay-per-view thing is in very high question now even though ESPN desperately needs content and they're trying I guess they're, that's that's probably why they got Gronk hosting it they're trying they're putting something out there. we got Rob Gronkowski by guy which you know what I would have been excited about Rob Gronkowski and WWE about five years ago or so now, I think Gronk's kind of been overplayed, honestly. I think he's been overexposed. I just don't really see the appeal anymore. I think that's fair. And 
first of all, people, like, the first reaction was, good, maybe we're just going to get, like, two four-hour shows instead of a seven- or eight-hour show. But my biggest fear is that we're going to end up with two fucking seven-hour shows. <laughs> They're going to put all the NXT TakeOver shows, uh, matches on the undercards, what you're thinking? I don't know, but they were already planning, like, 16 Mania matches, dude. And then, speaking of NXT, NXT gets fucking royally boned here. <laughs> yeah. And it's people like, good well, right it'll, it'll probably end up on TV. Well, yeah, okay, that's great if you spread out some of the matches on TV, but they're still getting boned from their big WrestleMania weekend takeover where they routinely steal the show from the fucking main roster. Maybe that's the whole goal. <laughs> and then, you know, and of course the Hall of Fame also is not going to happen, which I kind of figured once they announced Jushin Thunder Liger is going to be in the Hall of Fame, I, I I was thinking like okay that's nice but that's not going to really happen. WWE uh, Hall of Fame via sh- Skype, <laughs> Google Hangouts. <laughs> Can you imagine all the Hall of Famers in their little wacky blocks on the screen on Raw doing? Oh everything? gosh, that's an idea. So NXT gets boned over Mania weekend. No matter what they end up doing, they get boned because they don't get takeover. And I honestly, and we're going to talk about it later. I don't think they did NXT any favors tonight with the way they formatted the show. Despite the fact no. that I thought it was well done. And I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I know you and Kevin were big fans of how it was done. And I know we saw a lot of t- Johnny Gargano talking, which I think some people might be into. But, uh, yeah. I, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward for NXT as well. Yeah. If that's kind of what we're going to see. One thing coming up next here I want to talk about, Steve, is something I know we're, we're both sad about. The TNA There's No Place Like Home reunion show is canceled, like one of the many events over Mania like Weekend. Pretty much and, everything else, yeah. And um, I'm sad about that because we, we talked about that show and our time following TNA and some of our kind of hopes for surprises and stuff for that show. And obviously it's the right call with everything going on, but I'm not going to lie, I am certainly disappointed that it ended up getting the axe like the 800 other shows did. Yeah. There are a couple bright sides. The fact that the, they did tape, they apparently taped some kind of TNA show for Access TV, which is going to air, I believe, March 31st, I think it said. Yeah, it's a one hour special that was kind of supposed to be the hype for that show. So at least you're going to get that. And there's also the fact that Scott Steiner won't die. So that's also good. Yeah, thankfully Scott Steiner has not died and that he was attended too well to TNA tape or impact yeah. tapings when he had some heart issues. But. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm certainly. Um. I'm, I mean, again, I'm not mad, but don't get me wrong, guys. Certainly not mad. It's the right call. I'm just a little disappointed because I was looking forward to that one. Uh, speaking of cancellations, and we're gonna get into some interesting stuff going forward here. Um, as far as TV product, ROH uh, has canceled all events through May 31st. That includes the two upcoming title tournaments, and also included the 18th anniversary pay per view and the past versus present show. So they, they've lost out on a lot of stuff. And the other thing to consider is they may not really have anything left in the can for TV. Mm. So according to voices of wrestling, want to give the good brothers there a shout out for the next couple news bites. Uh, Joe Lanza said that they did ta- uh, do a test run of taping some empty arena matches since everybody was in Vegas over the weekend. Cause the cancellation came so late. You know, there's a joke there for our way trying empty arena matches. Uh, yeah, it would have played much yeah. better at the end of 2019 because they've had better crowds. But no, I get your joke, Polo. <laughs> um, but they've um they did a test run on empty arena matches, 
And I guess one thing that they're going to probably end up doing if they don't have a lot of content left to run is dive into the back catalog. And uh, Lanza mentioned that um, wow. one thing okay. that yeah, one thing they may do is um, as soon as maybe next week is like the first show, maybe like a best of the Briscoes um, with unseen interviews and a couple classic matches and stuff like that. So that is what's going on with ROH now in terms of TV content. So, and I, I think we'd all be on board with them opening up some of their older archives. Well, and, they're uh, supposed to be adding those archives to Honor Club. That's, that was the big announcement at uh, Free Enterprise. And if they wanted to run some of that content on their Sinclair broadcasting stations, I don't think a lot of us would be opposed to it. No, I don't think anybody would. Especially... If you wanted to run through maybe like a best of CM Punk or best of Samoa Joe or best of AJ Styles or whoever, I think that would be a pretty good idea. All I got to say would... is, listen, I hope they don't do a best of El Generico because I miss that dearly departed soul. <laughs> Died in a fire saving the orphans in Mexico. Christ, yeah, and you so look at sad. Sami Zayn saying you just, you just get, you, you get sad. I understand it. Yeah. So, um, now, uh, speaking of, um, programming going forward, we have to look at the NWA. The NWA huh. skipped this week's episode of power, which was going to be the special superpower episode. And they instead aired the um, 70th anniversary uh, pay-per-view for free online, which was very nice of them. Sure. Um, They've canceled the Crockett Cup and the TV tapings afterwards. The problem is, though, according to Voices of Wrestling and Jay Lanza, though, is that pretty much everything they have taped and all the episodes they have left were completely designed to build to the Crockett Cup. So a lot of that footage is going to kind of end up useless unless they recut it and possibly do some new commentary over it. Mm. Uh, Lanza also mentions that they may try to, uh, they're trying to book somewhere to where they can maybe um, shoot some replacement footage in uh, an empty building, um, but that isn't confirmed. Yeah. I, I mean, I can see where it's an issue. I can also, I know some of my friends who are big into this and the power thing were like, well, I mean, I think people understand if they're showing an audio, if they're showing a crowd, a show with an audience, it's not live. I think everybody knows it's not live and whatnot. It's not like I would insult anybody's intelligence. But the thing I responded to them was that, well, they're going to build the Crockett Cup and they're not going to have it. So you know. Yeah, that that's where the problem comes <laughs> in. I was like, because because impacts the same way. They're building a match that's going to have it's not going to happen. So yeah. I don't know what to tell you about that. And Impact is kind of in the same boat because they have footage that can run through April 14th because they had a pay-per-view the same weekend. That has not officially been canceled yet, but it's in New York, so it's very likely going to be. That's a, yeah, that'd be a problem, yeah. So they have footage through the 14th, and they're possibly going to run into the same issue as uh, maybe Ring of Honor to where they may have to dig into the catalog a bit and show some stuff from uh, recent... Um, Impact Plus specials and maybe some classic stuff to fill TV time. Then doesn't Billy Corgan have the Houston Library? I believe he does own that. Yes. Okay. Well, there's something. There might be some footage there that he can mine through. He probably has the rights to some things that we could see. So he reportedly yeah. has the rights to some cool shit, from what I've heard. So we'll find out. Yeah, we'll definitely find. We'll have plenty of time to find out. It looks like. Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, according to uh, Voices of Wrestling as well, um, MLW re- uh, did not respond to their requests. I do think that the the recent Mexico show was a TV taping there. 
So depending on how they cut it, they can probably get four weeks of TV out of that as well as whatever they still had to air from the Philly tapings. So it's kind of undetermined how much MLW has in the can. Obviously, Court owns all the old MLW footage, so they could theoretically do best of as well. So a lot of uncertain times for Ring of Honor, NWA, and MLW going forward. Yep, and definitely, yeah, uncertain times for them and for uncertain times for everybody else kind of below them on the totem pole. I mean, we know about the WrestleMania weekend stuff, about how a lot of these promotions make the most of their money off of WrestleMania weekend, and now that's Kaputsky. So it's going to be some tough times out there in the wrestling business, and I see some people out there, if you go on the Twitter, they're promoting some ideas, making purchases, purchases a shirt, Buy some merchandise off somebody, and if you want to help out your favorite indie wrestler, by all means, this time you gotta do it. Yeah, like one of the one things that uh, happened on Monday, and I'll have a review up here on Thursday, was um, Wrestle Talk promoted a show called No Fans Monday, uh, with the tagline "Support Wrestling, Screw Coronavirus." Yeah, and it was a empty arena show, uh, seven match show. It was actually a good show. I watched it. I have the review done. A uh, really entertaining show, and the whole thing was they were basically taking donations to spread among all the wrestlers and stuff. And they raised, I think, around, uh, I think it was 12,000 pounds mm. during the show to spread between everybody. So, I mean... That sounds good. I don't know what pounds the dollars are, but that sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, still, I mean, that's uh, that was nice. That show came off well. Uh, and finally, also from Voices Wrestling on uh, this kind of related front... Looks like New Japan is going to be back on March 31st with the Sakura Genesis show. If all things play out, obviously. Um, And it was mentioned that Empty Arena is on the table depending on how the government is acting with everything. Okay, well, that's probably earlier than I would expect them to be back. So that's some good news there. So... Moving along into the You Hear This Every Year news... (laughs) <laughs> Alberto Del Rio appeared on Nos Cavio La Noche in Mexico, saying that he's been in talks with WWE about a return. Quote, we have been in communication. We have rebuilt the bridge. On their port part, they were wrong on some decisions, and I also did some things wrong on my part. I am hoping that we can reach an agreement sometime this year or by the end of the or by the middle of the year, I'll be back there. Now Del Rio brought up potentially returning to WWE in March 2019, and that was Quickly shot down by WWE. <laughs> Steve, is Alberto coming back or is he just full of fucking shit as usual? I just want to hear what what, what were the parts that WWE were, were wrong on? Yeah, and as much as we like to bag on WWE on the shows from time to time, I don't think they've done anything wrong as far as it goes to Alberto El Patron slash Del Rio. I will say that the only possible thing that related to the company that they did wrong was <laughs> the dude that was allegedly racist to him. Okay, Wait, yeah, I mean, that's a fair one, but that was a couple stints ago, right? Uh, who the fuck remembers with this, dude? I guess his first, uh, his first stint. His second stint, he did nothing, you know, pretty much. He just kind of League of Nations, baby. Oh, yeah. That was <laughs> a wonderful faction right there. <laughs> so, do you, do, you, do you think they bring him back? Uh, no. I no, there's no that. reason to. I mean, do I, they, do they want a triple threat match between Alberto and Tito Ortiz and Ken, and uh, Chuck Kane, Liddell? Or Cain Velasquez. Cain Velasquez, him too, sure. But I guess Chuck Liddell's in talks as well. I mean, bringing every other MMA guy that's washed up, I mean, I guess he falls into that category. So, 
No, it's not going to happen. Dude, I've been done with him since he had that fucking run in Impact where everything blew up during his relationship with Paige. I've been done with him for a while. I have no desire to see him back. That's a shame because the guy had some talent back. You go back several years. I mean, his first 10 WD is pretty good. And I thought he had some good stuff in the Indies right after he left that first time. But once he went back to WD that second time, no, I'm done with him. That whole thing with Paige, no, yeah, just done with the guy. When he went back to WWE for that big payday, Steve, this is an analogy you will certainly understand as a big sports buff. He was mm-hmm. the running back on his second contract. Yep. <laughs> yes, he was. My man got paid, and then he said, we're on cruise control, eight carries a game, brother. That's <laughs> Maybe right. a catch, nine touches total. <laughs> That's right. God bless the Houston Texans for trading for David Johnson on that. Oh, boy. Good deal there. So that's up with Alberto. I have no desire to see this man back. No, it's it's. I wouldn't worry about it. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, you never say never. And Vince is a very forgiving guy. We all know, but eh, I wouldn't count on him. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what. If if Alberto started talking about he's talking to AEW, he gets signed tomorrow. There you go. You know, that's a fair, very very fair point right there. And, you know, Paige did just stand them up for that most recent... Uh, she was supposed to be on SmackDown last week, right? Yeah. But she didn't want to travel over from England because, well, duh. So, uh, I mean, they might, she might get some heat from that. You know, they'll they'll say, oh, you know, we won't we won't be mad at anybody if they want to travel over here. But, you know, they'll be mad. You know how they are. Probably. <laughs> how dare you not come over so we can try to break your neck and wrestle you against somebody. What? Are they going to try ever come back and wrestle? Is that the deal? Was that the deal with that? I don't know what the whole thing was. It was supposed to be an interview segment with Bailey, I think, but I I don't know, Steve. It's tough to say. I mean, they've been clearing people a lot. <laughs> I mean, they've kind of lowered the standards for clearing people to wrestle, as we've noticed recently kind of feels that way doesn't it Interesting yeah you know happens. once they get offers from uh, some other companies it's like well okay edge you can go wrestle now okay <laughs> yep. funny how it works out so steve nye Jax has been medically cleared to return after uh, reconstructive acl surgeries on both knees it's a question of uh when they start uh her back and uh where but right now it's look like she's earmarked marked for the raw brand she posted a picture online the other day. She was uh, in a bikini and stuff. She goes, I look good. I should go back to modeling. And my thought was, yes, you should. <laughs> I have no... I, I I don't know how to comment on that, to be honest with you. Well, I have I'm no ill will to towards Nia Jax. I just no, don't, I don't find her to, to be a very good professional wrestler. And no, she's she just, she's one of those people that if she didn't come back... I mean, I don't want anything bad to happen to her, but I personally would not miss her. I think there's way more talented people in NXT that they could filter up to the main roster. I still have no idea, other than related to The Rock, same as Nia, why fucking Tamina still has a job. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know what to say about Does Tamina, she still has a job? When's the last time Tamina did anything? She hasn't been around for a while. Cause she got. Oh, guess what? You're not going to believe this. She got injured again. Oh, what? I know, you're shocked. Yeah, I know. Again, no offense, she isn't any good. Neither is Naya. It's like, you have so many fucking women under contract that you could put up in that spot. 
You know, at least Nia has not been wrestling for as long, so you can might you might make an argument. Okay, maybe there's some upside there. To me, has been around for like over a fucking decade. I think you know what you got there. Yeah, you know what you got, and it's not good. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, at least with Nia, you can make the argument that okay, but she might get better one of these days. And I don't. I I also wish her no ill will. And if they, she comes back to the Raw brands, a feud with. Uh, uh, God, who, who the, maybe, Shea, maybe you get a fresh feud with Natalia. Oh boy! Oh boy, that would be fun. Yeah, buddy. Set the world you know, Becky on fire. Needs some, Becky Lynch needs some top-notch competition. You bring back Nia Jax to reset, restart that whole issue. Oh yeah, that'd brother, be you gotta stuff. understand. Becky ain't gonna be defending shit after Mania because Shayna's gonna go clever Lang on her. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true, and. I hope she does, quite honestly. <laughs> I think that the whole story fits for Rocky Three. Becky yeah. feels like the completely overconfident champion. Mm-hmm. And Shayna is just like the raw bones badass. And she just fucks her up, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and then you build a whole fucking redemption story and you pay it off later in the year. Becky Did has to get br- back to her roots. and Do we have Charlotte train Becky for the rematch? Because we need one of... Uh, we need an old opponent to come back to train Becky for it. Does, so does Charlotte train Becky for it? Yes, and they can run on the beach. Okay, I like this. I like where this is going. Although, I, I like think it. I think if we want to actually be truer to um, Rocky, we need to have the race dynamic so Bianca can be there, and then it looks completely ridiculous when Becky runs faster than Bianca. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we need something for Bianca to do, too, because I don't know where the fuck we're going to put her. But, yeah, you can, you can have Charlotte take her back to the, you know, or Christ. Knowing them, Vince would be like, this is a great idea. We're going to take I mean, Bianca's her. Bianca's been drugged under the bus at this point. He, no, Vince would be like, this is a great fucking idea. I love this redemption story. Natalia's going to take her to the dungeon and retrain her. Oh, okay. I can see that. Does Bret Hart get to stand in the background just, like, shaking his head? Yeah. Yeah, okay, I'd be, okay, he can play the Duke I, I, role. All right, okay, I'm I'm good with that. I like it. Again, no no, no personal disrespect to Nia Jax. I just I don't find yeah. her a very good professional wrestler. I wish her well. I hope she's healthy. And someone's gonna get mad when I say this, but in all honesty, I hope she has worked on losing some weight because having two reconstructed knees and staying large is not gonna be good for her. I speak from somebody with experience that kept too much weight on after an ACL reconstruction, which led to another one. And then guess what? I didn't lose enough weight fast enough, and I tore it again. The only reason I didn't have a third one, Steve, is because I got the fucking leg cut off. See, that's the thing. And when when we talk on the show about people needing to lose weight, we speak from experience because we are fat motherfuckers. And we could probably stand to lose some weight, both of us. (laughs) That's the point. I'm, I'm yeah. not trying to be disrespectful in any way. Like like Steve said, maybe Nia is so young in her career that she hasn't found found her way yet. Maybe Nia is going to end up being a really good professional wrestler. But she's not going to be a really good professional wrestler if she blows out her knee again. Nope. And that's all I'm saying. I hope I wish her the best. I hope everything works out. I'm not a big fan. Maybe she'll prove me wrong, though, and I'm fine with that. We like being proven wrong, too. I think I people do. underestimate that. Like, oh, how, you know. Some people don't like being proven wrong, but I always root for people to prove me wrong. Dude, if she if she I, comes back and has a slew of great matches and proves me wrong, good for her. I will admit I'm wrong. Yeah. 
Not a big deal, you know. So, I mean, you know, one of the people that uh, one people on AEW tonight proved me wrong because you might recall about ten years ago I was talking endless amounts of shit about this uh, individual who was a complete mess at that particular point in time, and he completely turned his life around, he turned his career around, and now when he pops up on AEW, I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. And that's he's gonna fuck up the inner circle. Yeah, Steve, that's stuff. somebody we both like had harsh words for back in the day, and we're talking about mm-hmm. Matt Hardy when he was having all yeah. his DUI issues. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's exactly. I mean, again, he came home, back. He proved us wrong. Great, I like it. I I do too. Uh, next up on the news roundup, Steve, the revival reportedly done with WWE. It's always tough to say with these guys. Yeah. Um, They were reportedly going to do a gimmick where they would be doing a comedy act mimicking tag teams of the past. (laughs) With the injuries they each had, the belief was that their deals would be up in early April. But right now, WWE is claiming that Dash Wilder's deal won't be up until around mid-June due to time added on from his injuries. At one point, they were going to be part of a multi-man SmackDown tag title match at WrestleMania. But that is reportedly off the table now because they're, again, reportedly done. But like Steve said, who the hell knows? Steve, do you think it's for real this time? I'm, I'll am believe it when I see it, to be honest with you. I'll believe it when I see it because I've heard all this speculation before about all oh, the Revival's contracts are all messed up. They're almost done. They're almost out of company. And and then they end up doing the tag team titles or something. So it's like the boy cried wolf. It's like... I just don't believe this speculation anymore when I hear it. So until they show up in AEW with Jim Cornette to challenge the Young Bucks, I'm not going to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and <laughs> until that happens. And, and like, I oh. largely agree with you, Stephen. Here's the thing. I think everybody is acting like the Revival or hostages to where they may just be playing the wrong game and they may end up just signing one of the big contracts and staying. That seems that's been their strategy in the past. It seems, as far as I can tell. So, we'll see. Again, I am with you. I am going to be. I will believe things when I see it. They pop up in AEW. They pop up in New Japan or wherever. Then it's like, okay, they're gone finally. Yeah. And um, until then, there will be guys on SmackDown doing nothing. That's right. So to close up the news roundup, a lesson in the phrase "free speech comes at a price." Due to reported pressure from WWE, David Starr, who was basically looked at as the MVP of European wrestling last year, is out of both Progress Wrestling and WXW, who are both affiliated with the WWE. He was a push star in both companies. According to those close to the situation, the WWE pressure will not affect his standing with OTT in Ireland, where he is the champion. Starr and WWXW management made the decision over the uh, 16 karat gold weekend which uh, was something apparently neither wanted to make, but it was from pressure due to WWE. They haven't publicly discussed it. Um, Star is saying he doesn't want to talk about it. He loved uh, WXW. He lost the Loser Leaves Town match. And uh, basically, he flat out said... um, he basically in the, what the story is basically in the past he has been pushing as as a pro union voice in attempts to get the UK to get wrestlers into the equity union which is a trade union for performers similar to the Screen Actors Guild in the US and when he lost his loser leave town match he basically just posted on Twitter free speech comes at a price yeah 
And apparently it does from time to time, especially we know that he loves unions. They're, they're big into unions, absolutely. Uh, they're all about that stuff. And we know that, you know, uh, we know what WD has done to the British wrestling scene in general. As far as British indie scene goes, it's pretty much been uh, pretty much killed off, right? It's been taken apart pretty handily. Yeah, it's pretty much been killed dead by uh, WWE and XT UK, which has been a brand. It's done some things, you know. It, it is, it is what it is, I guess somebody would say. But uh, as far as David Starr goes, he's a guy who I've not seen a lot of, to be honest with you. I've seen some stuff here and there. He's I've seen some pretty good promos from the guy. And he seems like he's pretty legitimate when it comes to his beliefs about unions. His uh, kind of leftist beliefs. I believe he's a big Bernie Sanders fan. So I could see why WWE might not be big on his bandwagon. I'm kind I, I would I would like to say I'm surprised that they would take it so personally for some random guy in the, in Europe, but then again, maybe I'm just not maybe not maybe I'm not surprised because that's the kind of thing they do. It's it's on that's on the Vince that's on the Vince M O sheet, brother. It's just you yeah. gotta you gotta knock it down before it starts, you know. Yeah, you don't want him talking to some XT UK guys or some other. You don't want bring you don't want some XT guys go over there and get some ideas. Uh, I mean, ideas are bad, Steve. Independent thought, not good. No, not 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 good at all. But uh, certainly wish David Starr the best going forward, and uh, may he get noticed by some other people. Who knows? Yeah, Starr is. Um, I, I'm someone who's watched a fair bit of him. Uh, he had some of the top matches overall last year in the business. He is extremely good. Um, my my thing is with him is like. He can talk all his political stuff all he wants as long as it doesn't uh, ruin my entertainment and shit. Yeah. You know, because that's pretty much how I am with all political stuff. Just just don't ruin my entertainment and stuff. Um, but the thing is, it's like, man, it's uh, it sucks for him. Um, it sucks for w- WXW because he was a big part of that promotion. He was a good part of progress. And it's, um, you know, these um companies are slowly going to start becoming kind of like homogenized WWE NXT UK light companies here. Yeah, pretty much they have to decide whether they're going to side with uh, their own talent or whether they're going to side with Vince McMahon and Well, they see they here's the thing, they got to sign with side with Vince if they want to keep using NXT UK talent. Yeah, uh Walter in specific, I suppose. Yeah, I guess but, Walter would be a big draw there. I don't know about a lot of these other guys, to be honest with you. Well, like they, they've Walter sent over, like that. they sent over Oni Lorcan recently. They've sent over Cassiano in the past, who's big in Europe, and yeah, he is. So, yeah, we'll um, we'll see what happens with old David Starr there. And um, I mean, here's the thing: if if, if the story is 100 percent accurate, and WWE was the one to kind of forced him out, he knows it, and he's not kind of bitching about it because he understands that it came at a price. He knew it would eventually probably happen, and what are you gonna do? Got to find somewhere else to work, Larry Zonka. Well, I'm sure he'll be fine finding places to work, so I wouldn't worry about that. I'm Let's just... hope so. Let's hope so. It's tough to find a place to work these days. That's what they tell me. I mean, I'm I'm good here at home, though. <laughs> well, you got the 411 Ashish money coming in. I know that. Well, I got the private jet taking me around, and it's, it's great. Yeah. yeah. Must so, be nice. That's right. So, Steve, we have to get into our regular weekly stuff. AEW yeah. Dynamite, March eighteenth, two thousand twenty, taking yeah. taking place at the uh, 
the venue down there in Jacksonville that the uh, the Con Zone where they held uh, like Fighter Fest and stuff. Yeah, Daly's Place, I believe Thank it's called. Yeah. Yes. I believe it's owned by the Con family. Yes. Which uh, that comes in handy. Yes, it does. Just like WWE <laughs> being nice lucky to, to own the Performance Center, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got to tell you, though, I like to look the the Daly's place a lot better, and I like the look of the uh, Performance Center. And I'll tell you, I mean, just to lead off, the one thing I kind of liked about the, the way they filmed this, the way they filmed it across from the entrance, it kind of looked like a Ring of Honor t- TV tapings. So I was like, oh, nothing different here. Yeah, and obviously one big difference that this show had comparatively to the WWE attempts at running an empty building was they actually had various in-ring talents hanging out ringside. Yes, they did. You had MJF and um, Sean Spears drinking wine and betting on the matches with the yes, Wardlow and Tully Blanchard in the background. It looked like Sean Spears got the upper hand on that, uh, on that at a certain point. Well, that's good. He hasn't been exactly going through the pay window, so he needed some yeah, extra money. MJF kind of dominated early, but then uh, Sean got the big win on the Jurassic Jurassic Express. So, so but they had various various talents out there, and they just weren't there sitting. They were making some noise, and they were having yes, a good were. time. And I know it seems like a very small thing. I thought that added a fun element to the show. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely if you've been watching recent WWE shows, it was sad watching Stone Cold Steve Austin ask for a hell yeah with nobody there to give him a hell yeah until brian saxon chimed in with a hell yeah and it just got sadder at that point and then he got kicked in his dick about three minutes later oh god that's brutal (laughs) he can't get that boot up like he used to that's for sure knees are failing him brother can't kick in the abs anymore yeah uh poor brian iron on that but uh no, I like the uh, I like the crowd interaction there with the uh, excess talent at ringside, like MJF and Sean Spears and Cole Cabana, and Daniels came in at certain points, and you had Dustin Rhodes hanging out there at certain points. So they it was good stuff. And they're making some noise, and I thought it adds the ambiance. Yes, it did. I thought again, you're making the best of a bad situation. You're trying to add to a show that you have no choice but to run in an empty building. So, it wasn't like I, I saw Jerry Lawler suggest uh, in her interview, oh, the May WD could pipe in some crowd noise. Well, they could. But I think it's better just to have your excess talent just hang out at ringside and do the, do it that way. I was hoping I, that they would pipe in crowd noise and bring back the AWA green screens. <laughs> that, well, that might be coming. We'll see. That might be their next. That might be their next move. I don't know. The AWA, AWA Team Challenge had some great green screens. Unfortunately, we're not in the Star Trek era where we could go into a holodeck and recreate a crowd. Yeah. That'd, be, that'd, that'd be great, but unfortunately, technology still sucks. <laughs> I thought I'd be better by this point. Me too. So Cody opened a show in the empty arena saying he never thought about quite how small their world was. He said he was asking for something big tonight for everybody to stand together, even if at a distance. He refuses to live in fear. He feels alive and hopes we all do as well. Puts over Matt Jackson for being a big part of AEW's existence and says uh, Matt's anger towards Hangman Page is uncalled for. He then put over Adam Page as a big future star who he thought would be world champion, but much like Cody did, he failed against Chris Jericho. But they all need to work together so that they can win in blood and guts. 
he added that he, him and Kenny Omega don't always get along, but they refuse to be the bridesmaids and that he needs him as well. But not only does he need Kenny Omega, he needs the real Kenny Omega. The mm. best in the world, the best bout machine, and he needs the elite to be the elite for blood and guts. So Matt and Kenny arrived, and Kenny says that um they you know they're friends talking among friends. He and Cody don't always get along. The world's kind of falling apart, and there may not even be a dynamite next week. But if he's going out, he wants to go out elite. Matt appreciated the sentiment, but it's just them right now. Nick is hurt. He's not coming back right now. And where was Paige? Adam Page, of course, arrived with a drink in his hand. Uh, and wearing a Dixie Chick shirt. That's right. He was pushing to get Dixie Chick's theme music on the show this week. Pretty great. Because his reasoning was nobody's going to sue in this climate. That's right. <laughs> so, Matt looked at him and said that we may not be able to fix this tonight or even next week, but asked him as a man, you know, will you stand with us? And Paige tipped his glass to him, giving him a little yes. That's all you need to know. That's right, right there. Yep. So Kenny said that it's hard to feel the energy with no fans here, but they're going to try their best tonight to give us the best show possible. And because we need entertainment and um, let's start dynamite. And that kicked us off, Steve. They start firing off some pyro, That's which right. is also in character for them because they love those. They love that pyro. The elite boys do That's love right. that pyro. So good way to start the show. I thought, you know, Cody, as usual, a dynamite promo, if you will, just uh, delivered right off the bats and got everybody on the same page, if you will. Yeah, rallying the troops. Turn a pay a turn a turn a phrase there, but yeah, good, good way to start the show. Get everybody going and. Uh, Guys set for a good night of wrestling action. That's right. JR Taz and Excalibur were on commentary. Yeah. Tony we got Schiavone. Taz. Yeah. Tony was doing the interview Sorry, gimmick. Yeah. yeah, Tony was doing interviews. We got a Death Triangle video package. Tony then inter- interviewed MJF. <laughs> MJF explained that he's not wrestling tonight because he doesn't have to. Tonight's payday may or tonight's trip to the pay window may be a lot for some of these other guys, but not him. Yeah. I'm going to allow the undercard talent to kill themselves and get some TV time tonight. Damn right. And that led to the start of he and Sean Spears putting uh, wagers on the matches. He also asked Tony if you want to get on the yeah. action with this fan. <laughs> You'll get on this action, old man. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I don't know if Tony got on the action or not. We never got that settled. But, uh, yeah, some, some good stuff. I mean, you could tell that uh, – those folks ran some fun that uh, fun tonight. The wine was flowing. They're all having a good time. They, and Steve's not joking. They had a bottle of wine at ringside, and they were legit having fun. They were putting wagers on matches. Damn right. The, the best one was later on in the Jurassic Express match with Sam <laughs> Jeff. Come on, dinosaur! I got three hundred on you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sean Spears, God bless him. I think. Well, you know what. what Whenever they come back to heaven fans, he still needs to be at ringside doing the gambling gimmick. Yeah. I'm telling you. He's been battling these damn matches. I like the gambling gimmick there and the find a tag team partner for him. So yeah. That's all I'm saying. It's been fun. So yeah, at ringside they, bet on matches. I like it. They were having a, definitely a good time tonight. So that led to our first match, which was the Lucha Bros facing the best friends coming out of last week. Yeah, and overall, at the end of the night, the Lucha Bros defeated the Best Friends fourteen oh five via pin. Orange Cassidy was um, on comment- commentary. He was a soundbite machine. Great performance on commentary by Orange Cassidy. He was. Um, he eventually got involved and hit a dive off the stage. Yeah, and um, stage dive. 
But uh, at the end of the day, Lucha Bros hit the murder-death kill on Trent. They picked up the win. Steve, I don't know about you because we haven't talked about it yet. I thought this was actually a really good energetic tag. And the thing for me is I've watched a lot of um, Empty Arena stuff here, and I just watched that show from Monday. If wrestling is going to have to temporarily reinvent itself while we kind of get through all this shit, a match like this with the guys in there bantering, you hear the impactful and loud strikes working in all-action style, prove that you can do it effectively. I thought this was very good. They did a great job. I said on Twitter that it was the best empty arena match I had seen since uh, Funk versus Lawler. There you go. Not going to lie. I mean, you know, you, I don't think anything on this show top Funk versus Lawler from 1981 with Lance Russell. I mean, that that that's kind of untouchable as far as empty arena stuff goes. But, uh, you know, I thought these guys did a great job. I thought that, uh, you know, they're going back and forth. And then we had the great post-match interview of Chucky e. T, which he challenges them to a, a street fight on actual street. And I'm telling you, it's you kind of, he owns a street somewhere. I'm telling you. He probably does. We, we can make this happen. We they're probably him. just going to fight on the street in between uh, this place and the fucking um, wherever the Jags play. Because they're like right next yeah, to I each mean, other. Yeah, I mean, Trent kind of said parking lot, but I think they could they could fight on the street if they wanted to. It'd be nice to have an actual street fight for once. I would enjoy that. That's right. But, uh, yeah, it was a good promo. And Chuck didn't get to say shit on TNT, but he did get did get to say dick. Yeah, there you go. And By the Orange way. Yes, he has hands all over Tony Schiavone. I don't know how Tony felt about that. But, <laughs> but by the way, interesting note, though, as this was going on, Chuck Taylor, not only on AEW TV, Chuck oh. Taylor was on NXT TV. Oh, shit. In the Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa video package, training at the PC at one of the tryouts. <laughs> oh, man. So, damn, this is the first time since the days of Ravishing Rick Rude we've had a guy appear on multiple shows on the same day. That's right. So Good job, Chucky e. T. A, a, nice. A, a, a true Kentucky gentleman and a legend among men. Definitely. No doubt about it. Congratulations, Chuck Taylor. A good man. Next up, Steve, we had the ladies in action. Hikaru Shida, Riho, Chris Statlander, and Penelope Ford. Yes. At the end of the day, Hikaru Shida won it just under six minutes via pin. And I thought outside of the one very obvious horrible point where Penelope <laughs> Ford whiffed on a Rana off the ropes, I thought that they had a good little match and made the most of their time, and I thought we got the right winner. Yeah, absolutely. Sheeta Sheeta was the right choice there to win, put her forward as a top contender. And, uh, you know, other than than one bad spot, they had a pretty good match. And I thought Jim Ross was right that he's glad that this women's division is kind of starting to gain some momentum. We're getting some more people involved. And I think things are going, they're looking pretty good right now. Yeah. Penelope Ford is very talented, I want to say, by the way, because I know we we kind of single her out. Yeah, I've seen her do some good stuff. And the thing so. is, she has a ton of potential, but she's also just somebody that needs to work more to yep. to kind of flatten out those rough edges. So because, hopefully that's happening now because she's on Dark last week and she's here. So they're, I think they are going to let her work some more matches going forward. Yeah, and I hope so. Uh, and you know, Kip Kip Sabian basically got to play her second at, at ringside. And, yeah, he's very useful. <laughs> yeah, he basically got his ass kicked half the time, which led to which a post match interview with. Uh, Tony Schiavone talking to Colt Cabana, who basically made fun of Kip yeah. Sabian for getting his ass beat. And they had a little interaction, and we'll probably, maybe that was a match taped for Dark before the show. 
It might be. It'll have at some point. I I wasn't sure about the audience member attacking the talent at ringside. I wasn't too sure whether that's kosher or not. But uh, oh, who doubt, Steve, who kosher? Doubt, who am I to doubt called Boom Boom Cabana, though? I mean, he is undefeated in AEW. I'm waiting for it, Steve. We're going to get horrible comments about you using the term kosher while talking about a Jewish gentleman. Yeah, probably so. But uh, Colt knows me. We're good. We're good people. <laughs> we're, we're, we're great friends, absolutely. But, uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I also like Colt talking about how he uses Bruce Springsteen of AEW because he had a great record. That's right. Yeah, very good. Earlier in the day, Tony Schiavone interviewed John Moxley outside. He wasn't cleared to compete, but he said uh, he's going to do what he wants. He's going to keep following the inner circle and stay in their blind spot. And then he yeah. drove away in Shad Khan's car, which is the car and storyline that Chris Jericho gave him. And then he <laughs> that just never car was leaking something, by the way. I'm not sure what it was leaking. It was he leaking the, he, something. He had the air conditioner on, man. It was hot. Uh, okay, is that what that was? Probably. Okay, well, let's hope so. Because otherwise, Jericho got taken to the cleaners. $750,000. Man. <laughs> Does Jericho have to cover play the uh, repairs as well? I don't know, man. I wonder what kind of warranty yeah. he ponied up for. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to find out as uh, events warrant. But uh, we know that uh, John Moxley will be a force here going forward. And uh, once this blood and guts match happens, you know whether he's in the match or not, he will be a factor. And the thing I do like is I like that they're keeping him out of the ring after the powerbomb angle. He's not cleared to compete. I know some people were kind of wondering, well, won't John Maxley be the fifth guy joining the elite? Well, he, he's not cleared to compete. So, no, he can't be. And we can definitely say by the end of the show, he was not that man. No, he definitely was not. Next up, Steve, the Jurassic Express battling the Butcher and the Blade. Your good friends, the Jurassic Express, defeated yes. the Butcher and the Blade 1245 via pin. Steve, what did you think of this one? I thought the, the, the Jurassic Express got a lot of pyro. They did. <laughs> they did. It might have been an excessive amount, to be honest, but uh, it was a fine match as well. I mean, you know, you did the, had the jungle, the poor jungle boy got the, the, the one spot where he just dropped face first on the apron. And then he dropped him face first again. The first one looked brutal. Yeah. Poor guy. Because <laughs> they just dropped him the first time. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> then we got to drop him again. But, uh, yeah, it's a perfectly fine tag team wrestling. And we know that Jungle Boy is a uh, he's a guy that we're looking for big things from going forward. Luchasaurus, big old boy. And, you know, the Butcher and Blade, they might not have big things in their future, but they serve a good purpose in their spot in the card. They're a good like serviceable tag like team. They yeah. are, exactly. You need, you need guys like Butcher and Blade in their spots there to put guys like the Jurassic Express over. And poor MJF lost a lot of money on this match, I'll tell you he that. He did. <laughs> yeah, that poor bastard. He had, a lot of, he had a lot of confidence in Butcher and Blade, and they let him down. But I think that's because the Butcher and Blade were missing their bunny. Where the hell was Bunny at? No Marco Stunt either. So I think the bunny might have been trapped in Canada. Ah, yeah, fair point. That border's closed, so that might be a I don't know. That might be a tricky situation. (laughs) That might be a tricky situation. She might be quarantined. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, I mean, if the Butcher and Blade can't get their bunny across the border, that that would be a problem for them going forward. I'll yes, someone in the comments section one week was like, you show your AEW bias so bad because you like the Butcher and the Blade, but you hate the uh, the Forgotten Sons. And I'm like, well, the difference is the Forgotten Sons fucking suck. And they don't have a bunny. 
<laughs> well, this is true, too. If they had a bunny, I think I'd be more on board with them, to be honest with you. We'd at least give them a fair look. <laughs> exactly. But they suck. And I, I don't know, the Forgotten Sons aren't in a rock band either, so there you That's go. That's right. Yeah. It, it kind of is amazing how good the Butcher has become in pro wrestling, considering he's like a musician still. And he's and he's uh, he's not a young gentleman either. No, so yeah, I mean he's he's up there and he's up there in age as far as pro wrestlers on television go. And but the guy does good work. You gotta give him credit. He is. He's he's a big hossy gentleman. Uh, love the yeah. mustache as well. You know, I mean, it's a good look. He has a great look for wrestling as far as like being a big old Hoskins. You like to see him face off against the Luchasaurus. The one awkward spot about this match was the finish where they yeah, hit that's their fishing move on the uh, on the blade. They hit the finish on the blade. The butcher had been tossed out beforehand. And after they hit the finish, the Jungle Boy decides to make a dive. But then he realizes, uh, oh, my God, there's butcher still down the floor or something. So he just kind of had to jump outside as... It was kind of awkward. Yeah, that was going to be my main <laughs> criticism. It was like I thought it was a solid and entertaining yeah. match, but the finish was really awkward. Yeah, like I, I think he thought the butcher was going to be there to catch him or something, but butcher was not there to catch him. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I know some people are going to totally bitch about it, but I'll tell you what, I'd rather him do that than be like, and instead of doing like an idiot and diving to the floor with nobody fucking there. <laughs> yeah, let's dive to the floor with nobody there in front of no people. That'll be good for this kid. Yeah, yeah, none. It wouldn't have been, but uh, good win for the though for Jungle Boy and Lucius Horus. That's right, good young guys. So next up, Steve, the Dark Order arrived. Yes, Evil yes. Uno and Stuart Grayson said the Exalted One is near, and when he comes, they will all see what Evil Uno sees. He promised yes. us his arrival and said you that had to he, look into his Evil Uno's eyes as well. That's, that's right. He said that look he never eyes. lies. He, he doesn't. He cares about us all and that together we are one and the exalted one is near. Daniels arrives to stop this ballyhoo. Says that all they do is lie about the exalted one. See, I don't know why these ringside guys, I don't know why these audience members are chiming Jump in. Jump in the right. fucking that's, rail, man. Yeah, and that's kind of ridiculous, to be honest with you. But he said that um, all they've done is lie and made everybody waste their time. He's sick of it. There is no exalted one. It's just the two of you, and then we got some music, Steve. Oh, uh, yeah, so we did. And then we got a graphic, and we got a distorted voice. Yes. And it was talking about arriving soon, and they will do what they want when he comes. And then the voice gets a little less distorted. Yeah. And it was the big rig Brody fucking Lee is the exalted one. Had a fucking awesome jacket he was wearing. He took the hood he was, off. And he, he said that... The hood. Uh, he said yes. uh, Daniels will not go unpunished, and um, and it, you are not the first out of touch old man not to believe in me. But you will be the last. Yes, <laughs> my name is Brody Lee, and I am the exalted one. The lights went out; they popped back on. Brody Lee's in the ring. The Dark Order kicks Daniels and Kaz's ass, including yes. the big rig doing the Sister Abigail tease. Before killing Daniels with the big rig lariat. Oh, that was great. Nice little shout out to Bray Wyatt there. So good. That was awesome. I loved it. Good stuff there. I mean, you know, Daniels didn't want to believe in the exalted one, but it is in fact Brody Lee. He is here to kick ass and take names. And I enjoyed everything about this. The only negative. We all love Brody Lee. We do. Exactly. And Steve, I think the only negative to this segment that we will agree on is. I wish I could have saw it in front of a crowd. 
Because I would have yeah. I would have loved to have seen the reaction he got. Because after that promo, you know the AEW crowd would have been loving out after that dig on Vince. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then when he would have appeared live, especially because this show was supposed to be in Rochester where he's from. Yeah. This would have got That'd over huge. But I agree with you. I thought it came off very well. And this is one of the reasons why I wasn't sold on Brody being Jake Sky because Brody Lee can fucking talk. Yes, he can. And, uh, you know, and it, even as the exalted one, that doesn't take away from Evil Uno's role as well. Exactly. Because, I mean, Evil Uno can still talk. He can still be the masked guy wearing a suit, which is awesome. And, of course, Brody Lee, the big guy kicking ass, is the exalted one. So, good stuff going forward. I, I like where this is going. I know I a wonder- lot of people are down Dark Order, but I, th- I think it's good stuff. I wonder how excited Brody Lee was to be wearing legit ring gear. Seriously. <laughs> that was a nice jacket, too. And then, uh, you know, some people were like, well, how come the other, how come the Bay faces at the ringside weren't screaming for the guys turn around to see those guys, to see Brody Lee? And my out. response was, you know what? If I was at ringside, if I saw Brody Lee in that ring gear, I would have been quiet. I would have been in fear. So, <laughs> I wouldn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Scary dude. Tony Schiavone tried to interview Lance Archer, but Jake Roberts quickly cut that off, explaining yeah, that, with that Lance is not here to talk. That's Jake right. felt disrespected because Cody did not answer him properly from his challenge. It's like spitting in his face. He heard Cody and his friends bitching to kick off the show. Um, he said, shut me up if you can. So, Cody, it's time. It's time to stand up and meet the man. It's personal now, and they will get his attention. Obviously, great promo stuff by Jake, as always. And yep. then we got a Lance Archer video package from the <laughs> Murder Hawk Mansion, where he was killing independent geeks in a wrestling ring in the middle of a field as Jake Roberts sat back and clapped with a picture behind him of Cody with Caesar written on it. Yes, yes. Jake Roberts in a rocking chair just watching this. Lance Archer killed all these poor bastards. And we possibly had a cheat in the evil Mitchell sighting. We're not, we're not sure. It's not been confirmed. We all know. That's right. It's possible. We have to ask Dave Meltzer about this, whether, in fact, that midget that was cheering all this nonsense on was, in fact, cheat him the evil midget from the Dose W, Halloween Havoc, Super Brawl, Beach Blast days back in 92-93. We can only hope so. I hope so, because that was, that'd be a nice callback right there. <laughs> now, Steve, this is the time of the t- uh, show where we normally talk about what we can expect next week. We're not sure if it'll be next week, I think, is where we're <laughs> Yeah, where because we're, we're the thing here. is, is they were yeah. very specific all show long to say, on the next Dynamite. Because we don't know if they can actually come back next. We don't know if they'll be there next week. We, I mean, we hope they'll be there next week. I'm sure they hope they'll be there next week. We don't know. We're not sure. So, for the next Dynamite, quote-unquote, the Wardlow versus the Luchasaurus in a Lumberjack match. Ooh. The Blood and Guts match. Yep. And the best friends versus the Lucha Bros in a street fight slash parking lot brawl, whatever it's going to be. On Tony Khan Street. That's right. <laughs> Jaguars <laughs> Avenue. 
Jaguars Avenue. That's right. So that'll be a good piece of business right there. If and when these things happen, if and when, wherever they happen. I mean, I hope it's next week because I enjoy talking about this stuff next week. But I think they're smart enough to they're smart enough to know that maybe it won't be next week. Yeah, and that's the thing. You have to have a you have to be smart in how you word things and plan things. And if there's no show next week, yeah, it'll suck because I like AEW and everything, and I love watching wrestling Wednesday nights. But We'll figure something out, you know? We'll have some kind of content for you folks next Obviously. week. Yeah. So the uh, final main event match for the evening was the inner circle of Hagar, Santana, and Ortiz facing off with the elite Cody, Matt Jackson, and Adam Page for the blood and guts advantage. Again, blood and guts is a war games match, so you start with yes. two guys, and then you have the heels always get the advantage unless you're Vince Russo. Unless you're Vince Russo, and people were asking me when this match, they started the introductions like with like 35 minutes left. They're like, "Can this match last that long?" And I was like, "Yes, with shenanigans and various stuff, it absolutely can." Why so, wouldn't it? That's right. So at the end of the day, as they should have, the inner circle defeated the elite. Adam Page and Matt Jackson were running wild. They looked to get on the same yeah. page until Matt wanted Adam Page to hit the Indie Taker. Page got taken out, leading to Matt getting cradled for the loss. More strife within the elite. Yep. I thought they had a good match. I thought they worked really hard. They continued the angles well. Um, before we get to the post-match stuff, Steve, what did you think of the match itself? Perfectly good, perfectly good match. I mean, perfectly good six-man style match. I mean, you know I love the uh, six-man Lucha May events where they do a lot of stuff and they stand around for a while and they, you know, they pose and whatnot. And, but this wasn't quite that they were going all out. They were doing some good things. He had the, the hand wash and page out there. And it's important to note that he had started social distancing around November. That's right. That was on his lower third this week. Yeah. Social distancing since November. If you look at his record since November, it's worked out pretty well for him. And <laughs> Let's we, be honest. And we need to note, because this cannot go untalked about, Jericho came out to do commentary, which led to Sammy Guevara singing Judas with MJF. Yes, which was fantastic. And then he had also had on the special, cover, wash your hands, cover your mouth, and shut your ass shirt. Wait, that's a top-notch shirt right there. That's right. Um, so I might pick up that one myself. That's pretty good. So, Steve, your, your good friend Chris Jericho and his inner circle won the main yes. event of the evening. Jericho, great on commentary as he always is. You know, right. He's always putting a, He always makes sure to put everybody over while still pointing out that he and his guys are the best. He made sure to put over how, how worried he was about Dustin Rhodes being at ringside. Not yeah. a very big fan of that. Oh, yeah. Mentioned the, our yeah, Dustin Rhodes is at ringside menu. with his face painted. That worries me. Kind of scary. Yeah, me. yeah. That's <laughs> not good. That's an issue. I understand. That's uh, and he he was he was really good because he was constantly putting them over. But he would be like, "But you got to remember, Jr. For as good as uh, Matt Jackson is, I mean, I've never hit one of my inner circle members with my finish by accident. That's right. You know, and shit like that. And like he would put over <laughs> Cody, and he's like, "You for as good as Cody is, though, Jr. You do have to remember that I beat him." He goes, "Hell, I've beaten like everybody in the in yeah. the elite." So he was just like, "Cody yeah. never be a champion." That's right. He was on fire. So that led to the post-match. And um, Jericho celebrates. And um, 
He bans all dipshit fans from all future AEW events because he doesn't need to hear them chanting for Cody or the Young Bucks. Which is a great cover for the you know, because we've heard some criticism for WWE for not mentioning the COVID-19 coronavirus or whatever. That great cover here is Jericho banning all the fans from ringside for the rest of, for until he says they can come back. That's, that's awesome stuff. I like it. So he, Good he, he said, uh, with Nick Jackson hurt, the elite is down to four for blood and guts, so they definitely don't stand a chance now. Jake Hagar did some push-ups with Sammy Guevara posing <laughs> on his back during this. He said that um, they're united. They don't drink at ringside and get buzzed so they can't lose. They're going to win at blood and guts. Sammy proclaimed his sexiness and started to hit on Brandy Rhodes, Steve. Yeah, and yeah that's then, right. Well, and, before that, you had Jericho talk to Brandy, too, until Dustin kind of came over and they kind of begged yeah. off. <laughs> but then we started hearing a weird noise. Yeah, that's and some weird noises. from the sky, Vanguard 1 arrived. Yeah, and Vanguard 1 pops up. Matt Jackson explained that the Elite is not at a disadvantage because they do, in fact, have a fifth man. He made a phone call to someone who owed him a favor... And that is when the piano music hit and yes. Broken Matt Hardy appeared in the AEW zone. <laughs> he was up on the balcony, if you will. That's right. And that is what closed the show this week, Steve. Matt Hardy threatening to, de- to delete the inner circle. Chris Jericho. I mean, again, we talk about this guy putting people over. He uh, he looked like he saw a ghost when he saw Matt Hardy. That's right. He's like, oh, my God, what, what, what the hell is going on here? I did not expect this nonsense. What the hell? Not good stuff. Looks like Matt Hardy's going to delete my inner circle. Just a great finish to the show. He had uh, Rebby Hardy's music playing, apparently. The piano, I think. I I think that's her, probably. (laughs) I wouldn't doubt it. Probably so, but yeah, it's a great way to end the show uh, with Matt Hardy making his appearance, his long-awaited appearance here in the the, uh, AEW. And he'll be the fifth man for the elites heading into blood and guts whenever that might be. And again, much like the Brody Lee thing, the only negative I have to this is it's one of those things I wish could have happened in front of the crowd because I think Matt oh, also yeah, they would have lost got... their shit. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, it came off very well, uh, I thought, as well, Steve. And overall thoughts on AEW this week? You know... Uh... And we've we've talked about some of these about how these, some of these WWE shows, the Performance Center, have gone. Have been kind of, kind of, kind of, eh, in my opinion. But I thought AEW took it. Out. I thought they knocked it out of park this week. I thought they had some great matches. I thought they uh, did some good angles. And although you didn't have the crowd presence there, you at least had some people ringside to kind of sell some stuff and. I thought it kind of came off well to the overall audience. So I thought AEW had a kick-ass week. Yeah, I, I, mean, I thought it was really good, dude. And I think more importantly, it felt really fun and kind of more organic and loose in a good way than... Yeah, it what, felt like an actual show. Yeah, as opposed <laughs> yeah. to what WWE's been doing. Because what's funny is AEW went out there and they just ran their show, but they kind yeah. of did it with a wink and a nod. Yeah. Because like, they know there's nobody there. Whereas WWE kind of just plows through the show like it's a regular show without ever addressing it. And I, like you said, I loved having the talent at ringside. Um, and much like the No Fans Monday event, which again, I'm going to plug because I have a review coming up on Thursday. 
I thought it was a good wrestling show. I thought AEW had some good wrestling. There were some good promos, interviews. Um, I thought the angle advancement was done well. Absolutely made the best of a bad situation. And again, the only negatives I can have for this show is that the Brody and Matt angles didn't have the advantage of happening in front of a great crowd. Yeah. But that's not a knock on the show. That's like, if you ask me if something was really wrong with the show or bothered me, that's it. But I thought the angles also at the same time came. But they off even really got well. over. They even got over without the people there too, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, because like I mean, like on Raw, some of the angles they tried on that show didn't really get over. Yeah, but I think it also <laughs> comes down to how people, as you specifically brought up, like Jericho, uh, the way he sold things, like the way mm-hmm. he sold Dustin down on the floor, the way he sold yeah. Matt's appearance. Um, you go back to certain things in time. It all comes down to reaction. Like Mick Foley talks about in his book when he's feuding with Triple H and he's going to go into the big match for the title. And, you know, he comes out and he's in the Mankind gear and he's like, you know, you're not going to face Mankind and you're not going to face Mick Foley. You're going to face and he rips off the dress shirt and it's the Cactus Jack shirt. And And Triple H puts it over. Yeah. yeah, And he said, he goes, he goes, if Triple H doesn't put it over, I'm a dumbass (laughs) coming out in a t-shirt. Yeah. So, yeah, it's the, the reaction from performers obviously very important. And, yeah, man, I thought they did the absolute best in, in a just a situation nobody could have predicted. Yeah. And a situation that, like we said, we, we have no clue how things are going to shake out. Yeah, I mean, WWE is still planning WrestleMania, but that could also be shut down the minute somebody gets infected on that roster. Yeah. Or the city could just decide, you know what? You have way too many fucking people in that building or all these buildings that you want to, you know. Is that why they're trying to build it? Is that why they're trying to say different venues? Are they going to try to spread this thing out across the country in various. I don't think across the country. I think probably just somewhere in Florida. Somewhere in Florida. But I mean, I just, I don't know. I mean, so, I mean, yeah, in theory, mania is going to happen. But again, what if it doesn't? We don't know. Yeah. It's very uncertain. Just like AEW is not even sure there's a show next week, which is why they said yeah. on the next Dynamite. And we hope we hope it's next next week, but we don't know. Yeah. And I, don't get me wrong, man. I, I hope everything delivers. You know, I hope everything gets to happen. Because I mean, yeah, people are to you know people like to bitch about Mania, blah blah blah. I still enjoy WrestleMania, even if it's not the best show because it's Mania every year. Yeah. I'm still a fan. I want to cover Mania. I want to talk about it. I want to have a good time. So we'll see, obviously, what happens. NXT tonight, Steve, um, a very different show. Um, yeah. Not your basic wrestling show. They there ran... was no wrestling on this show, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Just so you know. NXT took the approach tonight that they were not going to run um, any... Any matches. Any matches. Yeah. And... Um, they basically just um ran a it was a video package to build clip their show. Big angles. Yeah. It was a mix of getting over angles and a prime target special. It focused a lot on Johnny Gargano, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa and their history together as friends, a tag yeah. team and rivals. That's about the first hour and 15 minutes or so, yeah. I mean, it kind of felt like that. It was. I I noticed I was watching it. <laughs> and then you know, we got um talk about Finn Balor coming back to NXT and how he wants to face Walter. 
And then we got yeah. hype for Rhea Ripley and Charlotte. Yeah. And like I know you weren't a big fan of it. I know a lot of people are just going to naturally want to shit on this show. I think that they did a great job. I will say this. I'm kind of torn on it. I think it's good because they did a great job with quality video packages, as you would expect from WWE and the NXT editing crew. They're very good at that job. It's quality stuff. It was a mix between like a prime target special and just adding stuff on top of that. I think that that all works really good. Obviously, the circumstances suck, and you have to put out what content you can. On the flip side, though, I will say it also feels like WWE kind of did NXT a disservice here by not airing at least one match from the past on this show to hype up one of these matches. Why couldn't you air um, Rhea Ripley winning the championship? Why couldn't you air one of the Gargano Ciampa matches? You could have done something to break it up a bit and give people something else to get pulled into because I don't know long term or what it's going to look like next week in terms of fans coming back. Because say what you will about Raw, and I know some people loved it and some people hated it. On Raw, they did give you a Ray and Andrade match. They did replay the entire Men's Rumble. So you got some stuff to watch. You got something. Yeah, I mean it's and uh, and I was a little harsh on the show. I'll be on. In comparison to, to you and to Kevin, who were very, Kevin was very high on the show because Kevin loves everything with NXT. He, he he's an NXT guy. We all know that. It's good, but uh, yeah, to me it just didn't really hit home. I because it was it, there weren't any full matches there was just you know clips of this and clips of that and i saw somebody complaining about how you know on the takeover of new orleans match with Ciampa and gargano they had Ciampa walk out to ring with no music they wouldn't they wouldn't have a chance though yeah the fuck you Ciampa clap clap you can yeah. at least have a bleep or something <laughs> Have a bleep or something. They didn't play uh, crowd noise at all. He just walked out. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, that's great. You had to know that the people hated that guy at that point, which is a important part of that feud. That, yeah, because that I mean, was Gargano, gigantic heat that night. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of the point where Gargano is kind of feeling like, man, you guys hated this guy back then. And for some reason, you love him now, and I don't know why. And I think it would have been important to play at least a part of that crowd reaction. Just so you know how much the NXT fans hated that guy at that point. He was the most over heel of all time. May not all time, but in this in this era, am I right? Yeah. In the NXT era, I would say that Tommaso Ciampa was the most over heel of the NXT era at that point when they were chanting, fuck you Ciampa, when he had no music. Nobody, no XT crowd hated anybody more than they had Ciampa on the night. The, on, the only thing that I think comes close, and I'm not saying it's there, I think the only thing that comes close was Kevin Owens after he turned on Sammy. Yeah, that is pretty, that is pretty good too. But that yeah, no, you're, you're right though. But it's I hard do to think find. That I think Ciampa is number one. Yeah, no, I you, so. no, I agree with you. I'm saying you're right. It's it's yeah. very correct that in this NXT era, it's been very hard to find such a legit hated heel. Yeah, it's t- because you know, as you know as well as I do, with a smarter audience, as the NXT audience says, it's tough for heels to be hated. 
because a lot of us like the heels. A lot of us are, a lot of us admire the bad guys, and it's tough to get over <laughs> as being just purely hated. Like even on AEW, Chris Jericho's entrance with the crowd still gets sung along to, even though we don't like Chris Jericho. We still love singing along to his entrance because we respect him. Chiampa had no respect or admiration at that point. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. was legit hatred. <laughs> nobody had nobody liked that guy at all because he had screwed over Johnny Gargano. He turned his back on him after they lost the titles, and he he hadn't wrestled. He had not wrestled for a while since then because he got he got his knee broken, obviously. But he kept attacking Gargano at certain points, and it got to the point where. Nobody liked that guy. He was a fucking asshole, and they all wanted him to die. And they chanted, fuck you, Ciampa. And I feel like there's a way they could have expressed that and have part of the chant involved, is all I'm saying. I, I agree. I wish they would have done that, because I think it is a very important part and of that history. And back to point, why, like, why you hate this guy at this point, and you love him now, and I don't understand why, because he never apologized. He never really did anything like that. So, yeah. I don't know. So, but, I mean, I thought for what they tried to present, it's a very different show. Again, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, Raw and SmackDown actually did better in the ratings on Friday and Monday than they had in recent weeks. And that's because, there's number one, there's no competition, and I think everybody was curious to see what they were going to do. Now, will NXT see a bump like that, number one? And number two, will they keep it after running a show with just video packages? I think that'll be really interesting to see what happens in regards to that next week. I think it was a kind of dangerous plan. I don't think it was bad. But again, I do think you kind of do them a slight disservice by not airing any wrestling to kind of back up the feud stuff you're talking about. Although I do want to add one thing I did fucking lose my shit at during the Rhea Ripley segment was she's talking about how important this match was, and Charlotte won the Royal Rumble, and she knew that she'd have to step up to her because nobody wanted to see Charlotte and Becky again. <laughs> I greatly appreciated that. So, that is going to wrap Steve and I up for right now. We are done with our segment. I want to thank Steve as always, he's my good friend. We have enjoyed talking wrestling with you as always. So what's going to happen now is we're going to transition to a segment with um, Jerome Cusson. We're going to talk about some Ring of Honor, the coronavirus stuff over Mania weekend. Please forgive it's a little dated now with some of the announcements because we recorded Sunday. But I think we make a lot of important points during that. So I hope that you guys do enjoy that. And then right after that segment... Kevin Pantoja returns to the show, and we do a retro review of WCW Uncensored 2000. So I hope you guys uh, stay tuned for the rest of the show, and thank you. All right, welcome back to the next segment of the show. I am joined by someone who's been on the show in the past, a good friend of mine, Jerome Cuson. Jerome, how are you tonight, my friend? Uh, Larry, I'm uh, I'm doing about as well as can be expected. You know, you seemed pretty down a few days ago, and I DM'd you, and I was like, you know what, Larry, let's uh, let's fire up the old Skype and let's uh, let's have a chit chat because we the the best part about podcasts is that you can do these remotely, and we don't even need to be in the same room to do this. So uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, that I wanted to come on. And Larry, 
I had a cal- I had a social calendar that was full this weekend, and now it is wide open. <laughs> yeah, I um, mine is pretty much the same way. It was funny the other day. Went out to dinner on Thursday night with my uh, my in laws, my kids. Went and got a little Mexican here in town. Had a nice little night out. Came home, just relaxing around the house. It's Thursday. It's my light night and. Friday, early Friday, I got a call from my doctor. He's like, hey, he's like, wanted to talk to you real quick. I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, he's like, uh, he's like, I'm not trying to alarm you overall, but uh, considering your uh, history with diabetes and heart disease, probably a good idea for you to not go out a ton. I'm like, oh, you could have called me yesterday, but all right, thanks. And went out to dinner, but we're good. <laughs> and then he was like, uh, you know, for as long as your wife and kids are in school, he's like, uh, Maybe try to not hug on them a little too much just because, you know, you can get sick anyway from basic stuff they bring home. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's probably a good idea. But I guess the kind of the good news is South Carolina has axed the schools for the next two weeks at the minimum. And, uh, yeah, so it's just going to be us hanging around the house a lot. The only big going out we have planned is Wednesday. My actually, my younger daughter actually had uh, has scheduled to get her tonsils out Wednesday, so... But other than that, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, a lot of me covering my regular stuff, finding some other stuff to cover, and recording a lot of audio, doing a lot of retro review stuff to plug into the shows going forward, just to make sure we have content. Well, I think the, mo- the most amusing thing to me, and none of this is amusing, I want to I make that very clear, preface by saying that none of this is amusing. But we are all inundated with so much content, both wrestling and non-wrestling, and we've all complained about the fact that there's never any time to catch up on any of it. And uh, I have a feeling that we're going to be able to do that over the course of these uh, these next eight weeks or so. Yeah, that's definitely for sure. I mean, um, I've been catching up on some stuff as it is. I've been doing some retro review stuff and just... Um... Kind of hanging out. I was watching a bunch of movies, obviously. Uh, wasn't sleeping much last night just because my sleep cycle still sucks. But, uh, yeah, I did like a triple triple header last night of movies. I watched uh, Hobbs and Shocks. It debuted on HBO. That was a gloriously fun, stupid action movie, which I enjoyed. And then I was just kind of sitting there, and I was going through. And then, like, next up on the one movie channel was, like, Legend of Bagger Vance, and I hadn't seen that in forever. So I watched that. And then after that... So talk about a great doubleheader planned on Showtime. They were showing fucking American History X. <laughs> like, right after Bagger Vance. I'm like, oh, that's, that's some wholesome family entertainment there. So I watched a bunch of movies last night and just uh, hung out and then eventually went to sleep. So, yeah, it's um, it's just a, a weird fucking time now with all this shit going down. Yeah, I think, it's, I think that's the situation that a lot of people are going to find themselves in. And... You know, I think the one thing I'll say is that you and I are very fortunate to be able to work from home. This is something that you've obviously done for a really, really long time. The nature of what you do, all you need is a TV and a computer, and that's that's really all you need to function. And I'm in a fortunate position as a teacher where I'm going to be teaching online for the next for the final six weeks of the semester. And I think it uh, I think it just makes us really, really lucky. And uh, it's terribly unfortunate that other people are not going to be so lucky, particularly those in the uh, in the retail business, those in the healthcare industry, police, firefighters. Uh, those are the people that 
have been, have been very frequently on my mind over the course of these last few days because uh, they don't really have a choice. I mean, they have to go to work, and I think that's something that we should all be mindful of as we go forward these next few weeks. And I think looking for diversions is going to be really important to podcasts like this can certainly serve as that. Your reviews can serve as that. And I think everything that we do as part of uh, the wrestling community and kind of the podcast community, I think it's going to be really, really important because there is all kinds of content that's still out there that can be discussed. Exactly. And that's all I'm trying to do. Like I said, I'm going to cover, we're to cover the, the weekly stuff as it happens still. And I'm doing a bunch of retro review stuff as well with various people like Steve Cook and Kevin Pantoja and, just trying to, you know, give people something to listen to, a little something to kill the time with. So, to kind of get off of the corona deal, I mean, I know you're not deeply following wrestling as much as you used to, but what are you paying attention to these days? What is catching your interest? Believe it or not, the last time I was on this podcast and we were talking about Ring of Honor, I think Ring of Honor, it is, what what luck for Ring of Honor that they finally have an interesting pair of shows and they unfortunately get canceled because of of an a, basically an act of god and i think it's it's really sad because i think Ring of Honor is starting to show some signs of momentum and it is terribly terribly unfortunate that they did not get to go through with their shows because i think both the anniversary show and the past first I mean, I think the past versus present show had a lot of nostalgic value, which I think would have been valuable. But the one thing that I will say, the, the most important thing is, is that it feels like Ring of Honor is slowly becoming relevant again. And I think it's going to be one of those things that is a very, very slow process because I think they burned their bridges with a lot of people. And, you know, with with the next eight weeks or so uh, being very much in question, I don't know if... I mean, you could say the same thing about AEW. AEW seems to be doing some very positive things as as well, and it feels like their momentum is is going to get stopped a little bit too. But I think my, my hope is that AEW and Ring of Honor in particular can kind of take these next weeks to kind of self-evaluate and and figure some things out and and come back with a bang. Uh you know, there's going to be a lot of a lot of negative things that, that come from this, from everything that's going on. But I think that there, if there is a time to reflect and there's a there's a time to get out of the bubble, so to speak. And I think wrestling in particular is as guilty as anyone of the bubble and maybe getting out of it can can benefit those companies in, in direct and indirect ways because they, they will have some time to come up with some creative things and obviously, you know, work things out. And AEW in particular seems like they have they've they've taken a lot of positive steps. It seems like things were, were really rough for them <laughs> in the first few months, but it really seems like ever since ever since that week that NXT I, I, January 1st, it seems like, was a real a real turning point uh, for AEW and the build to their February show. And uh, I'm just really hopeful that that we can have some, tr- some true competition, and not just AEW, but also Ring of Honor. I, I agree. I was very disappointed that, uh, and obviously I support the reason, the, the decision not to do the shows for Ring of Honor and everything, but... I was very disappointed because I was looking forward to the 18th anniversary pay-per-view in the past versus present. I thought they had 
a lot of good stuff lined up. Like you said, they had a mix of they were going to do a lot of good stuff with the current roster on the one night, and then you had the nostalgic stuff for the second night. All looked really good. A lot of good potential stuff there. It was uh, I was pretty hyped up for that weekend overall, and um, like I said, unfortunately I had to cancel. They've been doing. I agree. They've been doing a lot of good stuff this year so far. Um, under the leadership of Martin Skrull and just um, a lot of good things happening, rebuilding the relationship with the NWA in New Japan, um, and just a lot of positives overall to the product. Um, I remember like the early shows in the year, like the I think it was the Atlanta show, when they had um, just a giant amount of Latino fans there, and they did the title switch to the Mexico squad for the six-man titles. And that place was like the best Ring of Honor crowd in months, maybe even a year. It was just, it was at center stage, they looked full, everybody was into the show. And it was really nice to feel things kind of turning around. And they've been doing a good job. I still think the TV show is kind of problematic because I don't know how much you're going to get people interested in the product that you're putting on the TV Because, like, a lot of your fans that probably watch your TV have already seen a lot of the stuff you're airing because it's from Honor Club. And it's not exactly, like, home run stuff every week that a regular fan that hasn't seen it I don't think would be necessarily like, oh, I need to catch this. But I do like a lot of the stuff they've been doing. And I agree with you about AEW since first of the year. They've had a really strong year, a run of really good to great shows, a great pay-per-view. And it'll be interesting to see how they adapt here because... Obviously, unlike WWE, they do not have a vast video library to pull off of and fill time if they need to. Like on SmackDown last week, they did the uh, the PC show Empty Arena, and they did a couple matches, they did a couple sit-down interviews, and then they replayed one of the matches from the pay-per-view, which was probably smart coming out because it ate up a large chunk of time, probably about 40 minutes TV time. And, you know, so you're filming the program and stuff, But on the other side, the other problem with the WWE um, show was the fact that it is hard to deprogram the robots. They, (laughs) they They were running this like it was a regular show in front of people. Ibot fucking died when Nikki Cross was clapping and rallying the crowd for Alexa Bliss. And then she got in the ring for her hot tag. She's throwing right and then stopped and did the come on fire up spot to nobody. And it was just, it was amusing. And it's just like some of the stuff they did, they kind of just shot it like a regular show. And I think that if you're going to move forward and do these empty arena shows, which are going to be difficult, you have to do something different. You have to not treat it like it's a regular show because it's not. You, you can't have everybody playing to the crowd because there's no crowd, obviously, but you can't just shoot it the same way either. They did a couple of small things that I thought were good. It'll be interesting to see how they do Raw Monday. And I think one thing that both a WWE and AEW should do is if they're running somewhere with no fans anyway, you don't necessarily have to transmit live. What I would do from WWE this week is like Monday I would go in there Film six or eight matches. And then I would uh, film some shoot-down interviews, sit-down interviews, and then whatever segments you're going to air, like the contract signing and stuff. And then I would go to the vault and pick out a couple matches that have something to do with your WrestleMania build. 
and I would try to knock out at the very least this week's show and next week's show, and maybe even the week after. Because you don't know if there's going to be mania. It's likely not going to happen. So I think that you just need to plan programming out so you don't have to worry about flying people around. And if I'm AEW, I'd do the same as well, as much as you can. Because uh, they've done a lot of really good... They do a lot of great video package stuff and interview stuff that doesn't always make TV anyway. So I think that you really need to dig into that stuff and kind of present a different show. And maybe, like I said again, tape a little ahead of time. And mix it up and try to give us a little something different here. Because it's a weird time and it's going to be an adjustment for fans to watch empty arena shows. And despite the fact that SmackDown had a bigger number this week, I think part of that was lack of competition plus curiosity. I don't know how long fans will be into it and keep following it because I don't know how long it'll keep their interest, if you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. I, it, it's it's a really tough thing because taking into account the fact that there will be no sports, it doesn't sound like there's going to be any sports until the middle of May, beginning of June. So I don't know if that's going to have a, an effect, but as long as WWE and AEW are presenting their shows, I definitely agree that they have to present them in a brand new way. Otherwise, I, I do think people, especially on the WWE side, because, I mean, the, the biggest difference is AEW has one two-hour show a week, and that is very different than WWE. WWE has, what, five hours just on Raw, SmackDown, plus NXT, plus 205 Live, which, I mean, <laughs> what what can you even say? It's just, it's really, really unfortunate that the wrestlers are being put in this really weird position and are basically still doing the things that they've been trained to do or asked to do and are not adjusting. I mean, wrestling in front of no people is, is very, very different than wrestling in front of people. And <laughs> unless they're going to adjust, it's just going to come off really goofy and that and that's sad, which... I don't know. I think, you know, the other thing that I, I'm also very concerned about is a lot of live programming is uh, is taking a break. Uh, many of the late night shows are doing that. ESPN, a lot of their DC based shows like Around the Horn and PTI are taking a break uh, because of the obvious reasons that people should be engaging in social distancing. And m my biggest concern is that what happens when, not if, somebody tests positive and then it starts going around the locker room because in my mind, it is only a matter of time before this happens because the NBA announced a plan to uh, do, do games with no fans. And then the night before that plan was going to go into effect, uh, an NBA player was, was diagnosed and, and it was identified. And that, and that, that particular incident is literally when everything shut down. The NBA shut down, NHL, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, the XFL. It all shut down, like, within 24 hours. Everything was just canceled. Yeah, and that was the, that was the scary thing and how quick that happened. And to go to your point about somebody potentially or likely picking it up in, like, the WWE locker room, the reason that that's a concern is you have to remember these people travel so much. And whether they like it or not, they run into a lot of people, you know, looking for autographs and photos and shit like that. And no matter how much you want to try to stay away, there is always a chance. And the last thing you want is 
obviously that shit going around to the whole locker room because that's just dangerous in and of itself. And then, like, to another degree, you have to consider somebody like Roman Reigns who just recovered from leukemia again. That is, like, the last thing he needs. I did not even think about that until you just mentioned it, but, my, I mean, my goodness. And, I mean, not to make jokes, but, you know, if they start bringing in the part-timers, I know that Steve Austin and Undertaker are, are going to be going. I mean, though, they're pretty close to being in the at-risk population. And I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm, I'm pointing that out because that is a legitimate concern. Someone like Goldberg in the same position. And obviously those are guys who are in very, is in relatively good physical condition. So I, you know, I don't know what kind of effect it would take, but I mean, that's still something that you have to be concerned about. And also think about the old man. Vince McMahon is 74 years. Is he 74 years old? I believe it's 74. Yeah. So, I mean, he is very much in the at-risk population as well, and th- there's, there has to be a very real concern about that. Yeah, it's, um, it's fucking wild, dude. And I guess, um, you know, we, we talk about the, the possibility of WrestleMania cancellation, and again, everybody has to pay attention. This is not just WrestleMania. It's Raw, it's SmackDown, it's NXT, it's Hall of Fame, it's TakeOver. And then on top of that, the 500 fucking independent events are on that weekend. And WrestleMania has a week, has a big history of WrestleMania weekend and week events. It's become bigger and bigger, whether it's for the best or not, every year. And every year you have shows that do lose their ass. Because for every Joey Janela spring break that draws 3,000 plus... You have a show that, like, last year drew, like, 12 fans and was supposed to be live-streamed and it never happened. So not everybody succeeds, but there are companies that go into Mania Weekend and this is, like, their their big windfall and it kind of sets them up for the entire year. So not only are they going to lose out on that, but you have people like the dude from High Spots who's talking about WrestleCon and, like, if they have to cancel how he's on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars which could, in theory, shut down high spots and cause this man to sell his house. So, I mean, we're not just talking the WWE because WWE is going to be fine with their billion-dollar TV deals. And it's like I talked about in Japan. New Japan is going to be fine. Stardom is going to be fine because they're owned by Bushi Road. Noah and DDT are going to be okay because they're owned by Cyber Agent. The lower card guys that aren't getting as many bookings will suffer a bit, but the companies as a whole will be fine. But it's those small companies, the independent companies, the ones that don't have the big financial backing, similar to the U.S. Indies, that are going to suffer. And if Mania Weekend doesn't go off, not everybody's going to be able to reschedule if they quote-unquote reschedule WrestleMania. You could see a lot of independent companies shutting down if this is what happens. Right, and and I think you're right about that. And I want to be I want to be very careful in my tone because I I don't want to see anybody sell their house. I don't want people to lose their ass. I don't want wrestlers to lose money. But we have been playing a very dangerous game over the course of the last few years. And I'm somebody who's covered WrestleManias both live and through the wonderful internet for, for a number of years. And I've, I've been in the habit of watching 
a hundred matches in a weekend and just reviewing different things and watching all these companies. And I have seen WrestleMania morph from it's WrestleMania to, Oh, ring of honor is running a couple of shows in 2006 and they're running like their three biggest shows of all time. They're bringing in the dragon gate guys. It's going to be really, really exciting. And then it morphed into where, Oh, dragon gate, or because of course Gabe left or was fired from Ring of Honor goes to Dragon Gate and all of a sudden now Dragon Gate is also running as well as Ring of Honor and still not a big deal I mean these are two very prominent independent wrestling companies and I can understand that but then you get to a point I think to me it seems like 2013 was kind of the point when it was starting to get ridiculous because that's when CCW and that's when all of some of the Jersey independents were running. And then every year from there, it seems like more and more companies have been running and it feels like it's gotten riskier and riskier, especially for a company like high spots, because in order to compete, they're having to bring in better and better talent. So that means that, you know, they're bringing in people from new Japan and they're flying Masato Tanaka over and they're do, having to do all these different things because now you're at a point when you've got the collective in one building ring of honor dragon gate slash evolve and wrestlecon and that's not to mention all the other independent shows that are running in a given area i mean last year it was pretty ridiculous too between the shows running in new york city also the city running in new jersey and it just feels like things have just gotten so chaotic over the course of the last couple of years that something like this was bound to happen and obviously you cannot forecast a global pandemic because that is not something that we've had to deal with in 100 years or so but there were about this there was something that was going to happen. There was always going to be this breaking point of companies that are trying to piggyback off of WrestleMania weekend. It was eventually going to get to the point where this was not going to be feasible. And it sucks that people are going to lose their ass. But when you have guys who are wrestling 11 matches in a weekend, 12 matches, they're doing all this stuff. And admittedly, they're, they're probably making a killing. I would love to know the statistics for some of these guys. You know, Matt Riddle, who wrestled 11 matches in two and a half days, you know, did he make like 30% of his, of his year in that one weekend? Because that would not surprise me. But this, this was bound to happen and it sucks. But, at the end of the day, what my hope is that we can get back to a point where not everybody should or can run WrestleMania weekend, especially because they're going to Los Angeles and, you know, going to the West Coast is going to be very, very expensive anyway. So I'm presuming that a lot of companies simply would not be able to run uh, that weekend anyway. And while it sucks, I mean, I, I can't say I, I, I it was just this was bound to happen. I think it kind of was because it was every year Mania Week just gets bigger and bigger. And it's like sometimes you look at like shows that are announced and you're like, okay, sure. Yeah, that makes sense for that company to run. They're close to there or they're big enough to run. And like, you know, the Joey Janela spring break thing took off. So now, of course, you had to have like last year it started with Joey Ryan's penis party because you have to have another wacky show. Because you know Joey Janela is not going to book everybody for his show, and High Spots had to get in on it, 
And, like, this year also they're doing, like, was it, like, Effie's Big Gay Brunch and stuff. And, like, you know, fair play to him. I mean, I'm, you know, if he can make money off a weekend show, that's great. But, again, it's become insane over the past years because people are like, you know there's not literally 500 shows. Yeah, it just fucking feels like it. It's insane. It's way too much, and it's to a point that, you know, we've talked about sometimes, you know, people are going to have to lose their ass and not run a show, and it's nice to see that some people have been smart, like, this year going into it, because, like, Beyond had announced that they weren't, like, last year, I don't think, they might have done one last year, and, like, they weren't going to do, like, a. they were, like, people, like, used to do more than one show, and they're like, eh, you know. AEW is like, you know, they were going to let guys go to WrestleCon, but they don't want to do a show, which I do appreciate. And it's just like, I guess you said it best, not everybody, because they can or want to, should run a show WrestleMania weekend. It's just, and yeah, the other thing is we talk about, like, I always look back, everybody I know that goes to WrestleMania weekend comes back sick as a motherfucker. Yes, I will. I will tell you that in 2013, when I went, I came back and I was supposed to go to Shimmer the next weekend. And I mean, whatever I got in New Jersey between a fever, a cold, whatever. I mean, it's it it I, it wasn't serious because I didn't have to go to the hospital, but I definitely was not able to function for a few days afterwards. And I mean, it's a petri dish when you are going. Like I was in a situation where I was going to the same building three days in a row. The first night was two shows. The second day was three shows. And then there were there was one more show on Sunday. No, it was four shows on Saturday. Um, and that's that's a lot. And, you know, I was spending so much time in the convention center and in that building and a lot of times with the same people. I'm not going to make a joke about the hygienics of wrestling fans because the thing is, is that that even if we all literally just bathed ourselves in hand sanitizer, that still wouldn't make a difference. Like I, I was very, I, I got very sick after that. And there was even a shimmer weekend. I went to two days of shimmer and just in that. I got sick too. So the shimmer this flu, is, man, the famous I mean, shimmer flu is, you know, people joke about that all the time, but it's, it's a reality. And the thing is that shimmer tends to run in November and April. And those are very much prime times for the flu, especially in November or October, whenever they run in the fall. So I'm, I, you know, I think it's, it's a really big mistake for these companies to, to try to run shows. And at this point, at this point, it's malfeasance to, to run a show because not only are you putting at the risk of the performers and the fans, but these fans who are traveling from all over the country, potentially all over the world, when they go home, they could infect their, their family members, especially if they have immunocompromised family members or friends or whatever. So, I mean, this is a really dangerous situation. It is, and it's like we kind of talked off air. It's unlike anything that you or I have ever seen in our lifetime. I mean, this is like a yeah. whole new level of shit here, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it sucks. It's really, really rough. And, you know, I think we're going to all just have to make do with the fact that, that lives are going to be very different for these next couple months, and, and we all have to get used to that, and we have to grow up and... Because this is what we have to do. You know, this is not something I think there's there's very much this idea uh, this idea of American exceptionalism. And if we tough it out and live our normal lives that, you know, nothing's going to happen. This is the case where everything has to change. And 
Um, for everyone except you, Larry. Larry, you get to stay at home because you do that anyway. But for everybody else, uh, we, we, we have to stay inside and we have to wash our goddamn hands over and over again. And there's a proper technique to washing your hands that I just learned about. 34 years old, and I learned that I've been washing my hands wrong for all these years. Well, in your defense, I mean, you know, the 22nd mandatory thing and the fact that Judas only came out in the last 18 months does hold you back from proper technique because everybody knows if you sing the opening chorus to Judas, you have uh, landed on the recommended 20 seconds, first of all. But uh, (laughs) I've heard people kind of say the same thing about, like, the hand washing thing. It's funny, but it's just like the fact that there are so many people that are like, you know, I never really thought about the hand washing thing. And it's like, because you don't? It's like, what the hell? So, uh, I I don't know. And, like, and the other thing is, too, is, like, people are like, oh, you're calling for Mania Weekend to be canceled, and these people are going to lose money. Listen, I don't want to see people lose money. I don't want to see people lose out on work. Do you think it's any better for me? Do you think these show cancellations help out my paycheck at all? These things aren't good for me, either. Mania Weekend is a big weekend for me, too. I make a ton of money on Mania Weekend. Mania Weekend's canceled. I'm not making that same money. Okay? I'm going to lose money, too. I don't want to see anybody lose money, but I also don't want to see a bunch of people get sick and a bunch of people die coming out of it. So it just comes to a point when you have to make a responsible choice, and, you know, if Mania is canceled, it's probably going to be because of the city-slash-government, and there you go, and that's just the way it's going to be. It's what it has to be, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I, I, I sit there and people are like, oh, it's kind of funny. WrestleMania sucked anyway, so now it's going to be canceled. Ha, ha, ha. No, it, it's not funny because it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt the city of Tampa Bay. Wrestlers are going to lose out on bonuses. And then by canceling Mania, pretty much all these other shows, if they're smart, aren't going to run, which means they're also going to lose money. But it's a safety thing. It, it's not a funny situation for anybody. I take it very seriously. And for anybody that thinks I don't, I'm like actually kind of insulted by that because... Again, I don't want to see anybody's livelihood hurt, and I specifically don't like losing money myself. But if it happens, it happens, and you just kind of got to work around it. Yeah, I mean, we again, it's about you know, being an adult and having to make adult decisions, and it, and it sucks. I mean, I, I'm in a complete agreement with you that you don't want to see something like this hurt people, but I think you have to, if you are going to do that, then what you need to do is to transfer that anger um, to, to your local government and and ask them to support uh, independent contractors and call for these different things because that is a way of mitigating this stuff because that's the thing that I don't think people understand is that um, you know people are going to be really out. It's not just wrestlers, but a lot of independent contractors, a lot of freelancers, a lot of people in the artistic community, bartenders, restaurant owners. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who are struggling. And, you know, <laughs> and given the some of the proclivities of wrestlers and their, and their personal and political beliefs, it's just it's greatly ironic to me that they're also kind of the first ones that that call bullshit on this and are, are, are complaining about some of this stuff, because 
I mean, this is important. This is not this is not something that we can joke around about. And a lot of the response that I've seen from the wrestling community, quite frankly, has been really embarrassing. And specifically, Brian Pillman Jr. and Austin Aries in particular, <laughs> really showing their asses. You know, I, WWE released an announcement about Davey Boy Smith going into the Hall of Fame. It was my Twitter feed was literally 99 percent coronavirus stuff. And then it was it was Davey Boy Smith going into the Hall of Fame. And I'm like, if you want to talk about tone deaf, then this this is it right here. And my understanding is that WWE did not even mention or use those words on SmackDown. Is that true? Yeah, they did not mention. They, they said, you know, the way they, they, they basically said, like, the situation a couple times. I mean, and who do you think banned the words coronavirus from being used on SmackDown? I, I have a guess, and I think you know who I'm talking about. The, the man who hates people that are weak and sneeze? Well, here's the funny thing, Larry. I will point out to you, the coronavirus, one of the symptoms is not sneezing. Don't let facts get in the way. This is Vince we're talking about. I mean, it's genuinely amazing. It would be a dry cough that would kill him. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, man. It is just, it is a fucking wild situation right now. It's, um, it's like my wife went out today with uh, her mother because uh, it's like Sunday they normally do like the group uh, grocery shopping. And I was like, how'd that go? And she got back. She's like, I got pretty much everything we wanted. She's like. It was kind of insane seeing, like, the entire meat section minus seafood, like, wiped out. And, like, 90% of the paper products gone and shit like that. But she's like, it's like, it was pretty decent other than that. That and the bread was gone, too. But it was just like, other than that, she said it wasn't too bad. She's like, there was a lot of people there. And she said there was this one woman just ranting about, I don't understand why people are out here buying so much shit. And she's, and she's like, ranting about how this is not a big deal and the flu kills more people. Meanwhile, she had like two carts worth of fucking food. So apparently she's preparing for something. <laughs> I mean, I think the philosophy that you should go under is buy a little bit extra, but I think we've, we've, we've taken it to its logical extreme, of course. And what is what is very amusing to me is that <laughs> you know we look at other countries and the way they behave during certain things and we're very critical of that and then in this specific situation <laughs> people are going i mean people are some people i don't want to say all but some people are are losing their shit and it's it's pretty wild to me and i mean look i i am a firm believer in taking precautions like one of the things like for my for me personally, like I definitely went to Walgreens earlier this week and I bought some Dayquil. I bought NyQuil. I bought some Tylenol because those are the things that will help you to battle it, just in case you get it. And yesterday I, I went and got a flu shot and I'm not somebody who likes needles. I'm a coward when it comes to getting needles. And I think those to me, that is a normal those are normal precautions. Like I'm also not going outside very much. I should say that I'm going outside, but I'm not like hanging out with people, but you can take precautions and still be a, a, and still maintain a level of sanity. Yeah, exactly. So, and again, like I said, uh, schools here in South Carolina are now shut down. So wife and kids are going to be home here pretty much all the time. And they're actually kind of happy about that for various reasons. But, um, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, man. It's like I, I talked a lot about it Wednesday. I, I wrote about it, and it's just um, 
I think it's just a time to better safe than sorry. And as you kind of mentioned earlier, the CDC talked about the, you know, no gatherings of over a hundred people in like events for like eight weeks is their recommendation, which obviously nukes things like mania and any sports events that would try to take place. And Nevada put the shutdown on any events that like UFC is scrambling to try to look for places. And it's, um, it's affecting not just the, like the sports and wrestling, but as you said, like, there are bars and restaurants being closed down, and it's um, it's it's affecting a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and we just we don't know. It's it's one of the great unknowns over the course of these next couple months. I mean, things like I said are are just going to be very different. So that's um, yeah, it's. I don't know, Jerome. It's uh, it's it's gonna be interesting to see how things play out in various ways and for various venues in life. And like I said, it'll be interesting to see how long we still get some wrestling programming because, again, I don't know how long and how feasible like the empty arena stuff is gonna be for a television audience. I don't know how long it'll be interesting to people. I'm sure WWE will try. I'm sure AEW will try and. It'll be interesting to see what Ring of Honor does because they don't have a lot stocked up TV taping wise, and that's what the past and present was pretty much going to be. And then they had some tournament stuff scheduled for coming up soon, and that might not happen now. So, be interesting to see what they have to resort to for TV. MLW just taped in Mexico, and then they announced that they're basically shutting down all live event stuff for 45 days. So, outside of the Mexico stuff, I don't know exactly how much they have in the can for TV. So, it's going to be interesting to see what the companies do, how they present TV, and if they're going to be able to present TV, depending on who you are. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be rough for everybody. I, AEW may have to go on some sort of a break, which is, which is very – it's fascinating to me because AEW is going to be put in a situation where – their network was going to change uh, for a couple months because TNT has the NBA playoffs coming up. And at this point, we don't know if there's going to be an NBA playoffs and what form all of that is going to take. So it is, it's, it's fascinating to me to see how that would have played out. But uh, there, there may come a point when AEW is just going to have to shut things down for a little bit. And because of the fact that they don't really run a lot of house shows and, their their owner is a billionaire. I think they're going to be okay, <laughs> but I mean, let's you know. I think we we have, we have, they have to be reasonable and they have to keep expectations low for these for these next couple months. Yeah. So that's a. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have too much else to add, but it's a. Uh, it's just an extremely interesting time, and I, I kind of don't know what's coming next. You know, I don't think anybody really does, but it's a. Uh, we're going to find out here eventually. It's um, I'm pretty sure uh, following that CDC recommendation, we could see the Mania announcement happen sooner rather than later. And then we're going to have to see the ripple effect of that on the, uh, the, the indies and everybody that was trying to run because a lot of money is going to be lost in uh, prepaid flights. And because um, a lot of those, they will not give you refunds on. They will give you vouchers. And the hotel stuff that's already bought and deposits already paid. It's a, a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money if Mania is canceled, which is very likely. Yeah. And um, 
the airlines are the, the airlines are going to need to bail out at some point. I mean, that's just something that's going to happen because they're they're really struggling because people, for obvious reasons, don't want to fly. I I know Will Osprey is not going to be able to make it regardless of whether Mania Weekend happens or not. And I don't know. I think. Uh, you know, there was going to be a time when that weekend was just going to be chock full of 500 wrestling shows and the NCAA Final Four, as it usually is. And and now, what are we going to do with ourselves? We're we're going to have to watch movies. Uh, Larry, you can you might be able to actually you know see your family on WrestleMania weekend, which I would I would highly recommend that you do that. By the way, to uh, to mitigate the cost. Uh, the, the the financial cost maybe spend time with your family that weekend that's that will that will perk your mood up at least yeah it'll be a rare one spending wrestlemania weekend with the family it's uh it's yeah so i mean i think and that's the other thing is that i think you have to find you have to find positives within the negatives that you know yes we we are all trapped in our homes and can't really do anything but you know, there, there are opportunities that come from that, being able to, you know, in your case, spend time with your family. And that's and I think that's all we can do is to spend time with our loved ones and talk through social media and do stupid podcasts like this. Very, exactly. very stupid. And that's kind of like what I'm looking forward to is I'm just going to I'm going to plug along. I'm going to do my shows. I'm going to do some reviews. I'm going to spend time with my kids because they're actually going to be home during the day and stuff and just uh that and hang out with like the seven little kittens we got here in the house as well, and just uh, try to have as good a time as possible. And if the four one one commenters give you any shit, then you can just throw the cats at them. There you go. I mean, that's very possible. But yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, I'm sure people are gonna give me shit anyway. It always happens. I just uh, I roll with it, and it's uh, pretty much all I can do because no matter what, I'm. I mean, obviously, I'm not perfect, but no matter what, I can't post anything without you hate this company, you're on the payroll for this company, which, Christ alone, if I was on the fucking payroll for the amount of companies people thought I was, I would be so fucking rich at this point. Because <laughs> yeah, apparently, I mean, it, depending on who you believe, I'm on AEW's payroll, I am on New Japan's payroll, I've even been accused of being on WWE's payroll at times. So, I mean, if that shit was uh, true, I'd be doing really damn good. Indeed. So, uh, so Larry, um, there is, there is not a lot of wrestling content, a lot of current content, but I, uh, I want to discuss the dark side of wrestling and talk about the, the double Chris Benoit episode, because it was, it was a really big deal for me at the time. So I, uh, I would definitely like to do that. Um, cause I believe it's airing in the 24th and 25th, correct? Uh, yeah, definitely the 24th. I think it might be airing both parts that night actually though. So yes, that is that is the next time I want to commiserate and and talk about that because there's going to be a lot to discuss. I agree, and um, we, we will. I will definitely have you back on to talk that. I know it's something Steve Cook and I are. We were happy Dark Side of the Ring was returning. Period, and um, there were rumors that they were going to do the Benoit episode, and um, it's. Uh, I'm very interested to see not only how they handle it, but how deep they get into it. And, um, specifically, you know, like, they're having on, like, um, Nancy Benoit's sister, uh, they're having, I think Daniel Benoit is going to be on, and I know Jericho is supposed to narrate it, and I think Chavo is even going to be on it, so... Oh, boy, this is going to be, it's going to be kind of a shit show, based on what, based on some of the people. It, I mean, it definitely sounds like that, but, um, I'm going to be really interested to see how they handle it, um, 
Because it is, it's a very fascinating subject, very tragic, obviously. But um, it happened at a time where it's like, you know, that was a time where, you know, Eddie Greer and Chris Benoit were just like, they were like the underdog heroes to so many fans because they were the guys that many people just always wanted to see pushed and always find success. And they did. And then, unfortunately, things fell apart with Eddie, and Eddie passed away. And then things just went into catastrophic failure with Benoit. And you can call it CTE, you could call it roid rate, I don't know. I'm not a fucking doctor, I only play one on the internet. But all we know is massive shit went wrong there. And it's just, I, I don't know, it was hard to deal with at the time. It was hard to put into context and talk about it. And it's been a long time now. And now they're going to dig into it. And hopefully they can do it justice. Because they largely did that with most of their series in season one. Um, and I just, I hope that they can continue that. Yeah, I think that's that's all that can be asked for. I, I generally agree with you that the way that they, they were formatted, I'm kind of mixed on the reenactments because I think some of them were kind of goofy, but I, um, it's going to be, it's definitely content and that's what we're going to be looking for over the course of, uh, of these next couple months. What are, do you know any of the other things that they're doing this year? Yeah, I broke them down. Let me, uh, I'll try to pull it up here on the site. Cause, um, there was some... because I because I know the Chris Benoit thing was was a really big deal. Yeah, I know um, they're they're doing some really interesting ones, and hopefully I can pull it up here. Let's see. Uh, yeah, Dark Side of the Ring. Do to do. If my computer will not slow down. Okay, other season two episodes will cover the murder of Dino Bravo which was reportedly a gangland thing due to smuggling cigarettes in Canada. So we'll find out more about that. Doctor, uh, the, uh, the New Jack mass transit incident. The, so we're getting, so it seems like this season's going to be a lot seedier than last year. That's the impression that I'm getting. Yeah, the WWE Brawl for All tournament. What? Yeah. Um, Dr. D. David Schultz incident with John Stossel on the news. That could be very interesting, actually, especially given the amount of time that's passed. Yeah, the, um, the death of Nancy Nancy Argentino, which was Jimmy Snooker's girlfriend. Oh boy, I hope Bix is on that episode. (laughs) Uh, the story of, uh, the Road Warriors, and then, um, the tragic death of Owen Hart will also be covered, as well as... Herb Abrams attempt to build a wrestling empire, and I really hope they go into detail on his death because his reported death was like a heart attack due to a coke binge where he was found like coated in Vaseline in a hotel room after a torrid night with a gaggle of hookers. So we'll I see mean, how deep they get on that one. Pro wrestling is, uh, is a very seedy business, and it gets, you could not represent it any better than right there. So, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they handled uh, season two. I, I like I said, I largely enjoyed the first season. I think the only episode I did not like was the fabulous Mola episode because they spent like forty minutes talking about how seedy and trashy Mola was, and then like in the last ten minutes, like tried to fucking redeem her. 
Yeah, it, it, that that it did not feel tasteful. That episode in particular uh, did not work. So we we'll see what happens. I mean, they're definitely going into some seedier territory, and they're this very much feels like the true crime. I mean, obviously, true crime is so popular right now, given Netflix and so many of those shows and podcasts and whatnot. So it definitely feels like there is a true crime element to a lot of the episodes that you've mentioned, much more so than last year. Yeah, so, um, but definitely, I will, I'll have you back on sometime after the Ben Wall one, and we will chat that one up and see how they did and how they actually presented it, because it could, like you said, it sounds like it points, it could be a shit show with who's on, but it may be very well produced, and maybe it will overcome that, I hope that's the case, and I, I hope that they just honestly don't hold back, obviously, they're not worried about WWE's help and involvement with a lot of these things, so... I just hope that they uh, they do the story justice and tell the story well. Yeah, I mean, I I will be I will be very curious because there's there's so much to talk about. I mean, the thing the thing that's so that's so weird about that story, and there's a lot of things that are weird about it. But like, we were literally talking about Michael Vick for like two to three months, and then all of a sudden, it's like Michael Vick didn't exist because then all of that energy was transferred into wrestling. And there are a lot of people that showed our asses that showed their asses uh, during that time period with the Fox news appearances. And yeah, there was a lot of embarrassing stuff that I think does that actually does need to be deconstructed. I don't think that this is going to do that, but at some point somebody needs to deconstruct a reaction to it because man, there was a lot of craziness at that time. I wonder how much they're going to talk on the show about the fact that WWE started running that Benoit tribute episode and then about halfway through found out that it wasn't a, you know, like a break in and murder and stuff that it was actually him that did it, you know? Yeah, that was a weird night because I I definitely remember how it started. I remember just the reaction and then slowly realizing, oh, it's Chris Benoit that actually did it. And Wow, it's 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 it was a really crazy crazy thing uh, to think about, and I mean, I guess it's actually we are in crazy. We have somehow gotten into even crazier times now. Yeah, and the weirdest thing about that Ben Wall is like you hear the news and you're already fucking totally sobered up because it's like Jesus Christ, it's like this dude, his wife and son are dead. And then, like, you're watching this episode, and everybody's paying a lovely tribute to him. And then, like, in the last ten minutes of the show, it starts eking out online that maybe he did it. Didn't so? Didn't somebody say something really cryptic on the show? Was it Chavo? No, I think it was Regal, who was, like, kind of really oddly wording his stuff, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But it's yeah, just so, like, man, it was just like, so if it wasn't fucked up at first anyway, because three people were dead, it becomes even more because a husband and father killed his wife and son. And then it's, you look at it from terms of being a wrestling fan, and it's like, this is someone like, you know, I personally followed for fucking years. And then it's like, holy shit, it's like... It just proves that the fact that for as much as you may love and respect and follow somebody, you don't really know them unless you actually know them. And this is before Twitter just took over our lives. I mean, it would be, 
it would be really fascinating to see how a story like that would come across now because we have Twitter and everything is so instantaneous and the world literally changes minute to minute. But I mean, man, I mean, it's just it's crazy to think about just those times and uh, kind of where we are now. Yeah. So I I don't know, man. It's a again, I'm very fascinated to see how how they handle it, how deep they get into it and just how kind of real they are with the story, because you don't want to sit there and just be like, you can't just come out the first five minutes and go, this is the story of Chris Benoit, a piece of shit. Now, granted, I'm not saying that he isn't, but what I'm saying is you have to actually give some context to the story and do the whole thing justice. So I kind of hope that they do that. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of watch that and come back and talk about it. Absolutely. I think that's it's super important. I think they have to handle this with the, the utmost sensitive utmost sensitivity to to everybody involved. Agreed. Well, dude, I want to thank you for popping on and wanting to cheer me up and talk with me because that's always fun. It's good to talk with you, period. Uh, even though it wasn't the most uh, fun stuff to talk about at times, it's always good just to kind of chop this up with different people and everything. And um. Like I said, I appreciate you coming on, and I will definitely have you back on after that Benoit one airs because I will definitely want to talk about that one because I, like I said, I just I'm fascinated to see how they handle it, how deep they get into it, and just how real they are with it. And I I hope it's not like cover up kit gloves either way. You know, you you can't just say, well, he was a great guy that made a mistake at the end because that's not exactly what happened. And then you just can't say that he was an asshole his whole life because there are a lot of people that will tell you he wasn't. You know, some some major shit went wrong and whether it was the fact that he was knocked out too many times or that he was abusing steroids or a combination of everything or that he was depressed or... I don't know what the fuck it was. But whatever it is, just give me the realest story you can give me. Yeah, I, that's that's exactly what I'm looking for. And I'm sure that Nancy's sister is going to have a lot, a lot to say. And that... That that will be interesting just to see how that develops. And yeah, um, we will definitely talk at that time. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jerome. And uh, everybody hang on because we will go into a retro review to close out this week's show. All right. And we are continuing on with the show here tonight. We're going to do another retro review. Joining me once again, Kevin Pantoja. Kevin, how are you, my friend? Uh, I'm pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, just trying to stay safe in this whole coronavirus shutdown. Um, so yeah, and as, apparently I decided to spend my time watching this show. That's right. And, uh, kind of sorry for that on one hand, but then again, you kind of suggested it the other week. So <laughs> I, I did. I put. I brought this on myself. <laughs> so yeah, just for the uh, kind of spirit of full disclosure, we're actually recording this one on uh, March 14th. We're in the Middle of the NBA shutdown, the XFL shutdown, baseball being delayed, and all kind of shit being shut down. WWE running performance center shows with no crowds. The coronavirus kind of running wild. Travel bans. Unfortunately, deaths. It's a it's a really weird time, Kev. Uh, tons of shows obviously being canceled. Ring of Honor weekend got canceled. Uh, the 18th anniversary weekend. The whole New Japan Cup, the anniversary show. All Japan and a bunch of other promotions have canceled. Like the only co- company running right now is like Big Japan. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it, I think I saw Stardom was doing like empty arena shows, maybe. 
Yeah, they did one, and I think they're planning another one. But yeah, it's like Big Japan of all fucking places is still running. It's going to be like 2024. Everybody has the coronavirus, and New J- or Big Japan is going to be running like 23 days a month in Corican. <laughs> yeah, that's it's it, it's it's so weird. I saw the back of uh, the New York newspaper said the day sports stopped or something like that, and that's very accurate. Yeah, it, and it is. It's it's just really strange right now because. I mean, as silly as it sounds, like, when I'm doing shit on a Saturday or writing, like, I had the XFL on in the background, so I'll I'll watch pretty much any football, you know, and it's just like, well, that's not on, it's like, well, I can watch, I'm not a big basketball guy, but it's like, I could watch NBA, oh, no, 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 I can't. Yeah, (laughs) last week when we did the, uh, I think it was the NXT arrival, uh, or whenever we, you know, I don't don't remember if that was last week exactly, but when we filmed, when we recorded that, I had the XFL on in the background. Yeah, so it's a it's crazy. It's a very serious thing. We're um, you know, very possible that WrestleMania week is going to be be completely shuttered if uh, the city has anything to do with it. And uh, just with all this stuff, Kev, I always know you're doing a lot of stuff for the Patreon. But uh, with you know, I know you don't cover every New Japan show, but I mean, we had that big cancellation, no New Japan Cup, no mm-hmm. anniversary show, and just. Landscape changing with uh, just possible more cancellations coming. What have you been uh, filling your time with? It's difficult to find stuff. Um, I've actually been, you know, without sports and stuff because that's, like you said, it's just something that's always there. You know, you can throw it on whenever, no matter what you're doing. Uh, For the most part, I've been reviewing old shows like this. I've been doing retro reviews for the Patreon um, and then other than that, it's been a lot of movies and TV shows. I recently got into Succession on HBO. It's phenomenal. Uh, I'm almost done with that. And then I'm thinking Watchmen after, but it's just a lot of TV and movies right now. I hear you, dude. Yeah, I've, uh, I've caught up on a lot of my DVR. And, um, oh, yeah. I just, um, with not a lot of the regular stuff to review, I actually, uh, I don't do a lot of retro written reviews because there's normally just so much regular stuff to cover. Yeah. Um, but I popped up uh, the old Impact Plus gimmick, and I uh, they had a bunch of uh, one-hour like best-of things. So I've reviewed a few of those for the site that are going to be running here over the week. And I then, believe uh, I saw the AJ Styles one. Yeah, yeah, the AJ one yeah. went up. And then um, New Japan released a uh, match from 2011, the Golden Lovers versus Apollo 55. Whoa. And uh, from Fantastica Mania 2011, and... Uh, that was actually I went back and I watched and reviewed that. That'll be on the site, and um, I was just that was a really great match, and it's really crazy to go back to 2011 because, um, you got the Golden Lovers and like, Abushi is like still Abushi. Kenny was great, but he wasn't what he would become. Yeah, you know, uh, Prince Devitt slash Finn Balor was comparative to his main roster stuff that became later, (laughs) he was like just so full of life, you know, just like killing it. And then Taguchi was just a young wrestle lad. He was a professional grappler wearing trunks and not doing ass stuff. I don't even know what that's like. I know. It's just like, what world is this? But um, (laughs) it's like uh, just under 17 minutes. It's on new Japan world. It's, It's pretty great match. It's a title change. And, uh, Tremendously fun stuff. I, I went back and watched that because I had remembered, like, they had a Sumo Hall match um, in, like, 2010 or 2011, which was excellent. And I hadn't seen this Fantastica Mania one. So I went back. I'm like, yeah, this is pretty fucking great. And it's just, uh, it is always kind of cool when you go back. Like, I was doing that, the, the TNA stuff. And, like, 
One of the matches I reviewed was like 2009. It's a, a Samoa Joe and Magnus match. Ooh. And it's like you're watching that match. And it's a good gentleman's three match. It's like nine minutes. There's nothing wrong with it. And you sit there and it's like, you know, Samoa Joe's pretty great. And you look at Magnus, which obviously is, you know, Nick Aldis. And you look mm-hmm. at him and it's like, you see, he had a good look. There was a lot of potential. He was definitely a prospect. Far from the guy he would become, because he definitely wasn't the talker he was now. And yeah, and he, he turned into a much better wrestler. But it's like, you go back and it's like, this dude's fucking NWA champion and cutting like some of the better promos in wrestling right now. And here he is as just a dude. Yeah, it's interesting. We I've been watching him on NWA Power, and he's possibly probably my favorite top champion right now because we haven't really seen much of Naito as uh, IWGP champion. Um, but, you know, every time I see all this, it's a ton. Of, it's really, you know, entertaining. I like him being the real world's champion. Like, just that whole thing, he carries himself like a champion. It's really well done. It is. It's fun. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been fun to go back and do some of that. So, again, as I kept mentioning, we're going to do another retro review here tonight. We're going back to the year 2000, January 16th to be exact. WCW sold out 2000. <laughs> Cincinnati, Ohio, the Firestar Center, taking place in front of 14,132 poor, unfortunate bastards. Yeah, um... <laughs> This all came about, um, if you don't mind me going into Go it, ahead, man. Um, just because, you know, when I first got the WWE Network, that's when I really started getting into reviewing because obviously everything, you know, was at our fingertips. Um, and I was pulling random reviews. And one of the first reviews I did on 401 Mania in like early 2015, man, it's been a while. <laughs> um, uh, one of the first reviews I did there, I pulled out Sold Out 2000. And I don't even remember if I saw this when I was, you know, when it happened live. I wasn't really watching much WCW in 2000. I don't know how many people were. Um, and I watched this show, and I've never been more upset watching a wrestling event. It was terrible. I gave it a famous 0 out of 10 at the time. And I called it the worst pay-per-view I've ever seen. I mentioned that to Larry when he was talking about doing more retro reviews. And he decided that we should try this one. And I came into it thinking, what if it's not as bad as I remember? And we're going to find out overall. And 2000, the year 2000 for WCW was a horrendous fucking year. There was like 800 world title changes and vacancies. And it was just not good programming at all. It was throwing everything at the fucking wall and just... It, it was so bad, and it was, like, so depressing for me because, like, just growing up an NWA fan, and then you see, like, WCW got really hot, and mm-hmm. then they tapered off, and it's like, well, yeah, it's like, okay, you can taper off, but just don't suck, and then it went from tapering off to just horrific shit. They fell off a cliff hard. Yeah. Um. Do you have any notes about, like, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff going into this show? I, no, you know, I, I I was thinking about digging into it, and I, I kind of really didn't. It's like, I know the um, the big stuff going into this is obviously there was no Bret Hart on the show because this mm-hmm. was right after the uh, super kick incident from Goldberg. So that was during his concussion issues. Um, Jeff Jarrett was supposed to be prominently featured on this show, mm-hmm. and he was out of action, which I believe was also concussion-related. So it was a bad time for the WCW main talent. Um, yeah. so you had that all happening and then you had like 
Vinny Rue behind the scenes, probably getting higher than a fucking kite. Since they couldn't do Jarrett and Benoit in the scheduled matches, his big idea going into this was, and this is the big infamous uh, rumor, (laughs) that he wanted Tank Abbott as the world champion because he's a real shooter, brother. That's okay. That's what I was going to mention. If you had that note, because I mean, I mean, the other thing obviously is that the radicals leave uh, right after the show. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, the Tank Abbott thing. I remember when I read that the first time, I was blown away because it sounds far fetched, but also it's Vince Russo, <laughs> so it seems very possible. And it, it's funny. It's oh, not man. the first time in WCW history they almost did a really out of the box world title thing like that. Because in the early '90s, they almost pulled the uh, pl- uh, almost uh, uh, pulled the switch, and uh, they were going to strap up Rick Steiner out of nowhere at one point. I mean, in the early '90s, that wouldn't have been a terror. It would have been out of the box, but oh Rick no, in the really early '90s, it was yeah. great. But... <laughs> yeah, I was listening to you. Uh, you guys do the greed review, and you asked that same question: like, why are they pushing him in the late '90s, early 2000s? Oh, yeah, that was, like, just the worst thing because it was, like, <laughs> by that point, Rick Steiner was just an unprofessional asshole and didn't care about anything. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, in the early 90s, Rick Steiner was, like, a beast and was yeah. great. But it's just, it was the weirdest thing. But, yeah, so it's, like, WCW was just uh, – it was a total mess at this point. And as he also just mentioned, this was the uh, the final show for the Radicals. And um, you know, it's a uh, you, you uh, Benoit, Malenko, Perry Saturn, um, and Eddie Guerrero all leaving, uh, following a big meeting by WCW where they basically told everybody that if you want out, you can leave. Mm-hmm. And like, I Which... love that they didn't think that Benoit would leave because he just won the title and that he and all of his friends would stay. And then they were like, <laughs> "Yeah, peace out, dude. <laughs> we're, we're gone." Yeah, pretty much. Um, just a real quick note about this show. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there's someone on this card who was actually my professor at one point. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm, I'll mention it when we get there. So there's a little uh, oh, <laughs> teaser. So yeah, this is this card is it's like twelve matches, and goddamn, is it's something? I'll tell you that. And, yeah. We start off, we had, the, there was this fucking like, gimmick where they were doing the uh, three ma- triple threat theater dungeon. And it was going to be, it was, this was supposed to be the Benoit Jarrett, Benoit right? I believe Originally? so. I believe yeah. so. And then it got switched because of the injuries. So Billy Kidman was going to be involved in this with three different opponents. And the first match was against Dean Malenko. And this was going to be a catch-as-catch-can match. Which you're thinking, like, okay, Dean Malenko in a straight-up wrestling match? You Billy know, Kidman's good. Yeah, Billy Kidman's good. And it's like, this probably has potential. The only rule was that you can't go to the floor, and if you do, it's a disqualification. <laughs> so, they start this match. They do stuff for about two minutes. Dean Malenko powders to the floor. Everybody acts confused. Billy Kidman looks pissed. And then they call for the disqualification. <laughs> it is like, it's it's either, it's one of two things. Either Dean out of habit just powdered because he was the heel. Mm-hmm. Or Dean Malenko figured, fuck it, I'm getting out of here. I'm sabotaging yeah. this and pulling a Gail Kim on Raw in the Battle Royal and just eliminate myself. Pretty much. Yeah, that's what I figured. It's one or the other. It's 
so like it's just the perfect way to open this show considering how this show goes you could have given us a nice match between Malenko and Kidman but the weird like catch as catch can rule I don't like what's the point of not leaving the ring and then clearly Malenko either didn't care or forgot there was just the whole like start to this was kind of a mess the rules are dumb um, I did just to go back a little bit. I never liked how WCW started their pay-per-views. Instead of getting into a match or something, they would just have the commentators run down the card for like five minutes, effectively killing the crowd who was just you know excited after seeing the intro and everything. Um, that's just a small thing, but yeah, this is like Kidman just is furious as he goes to the back. Like he looks pissed. He he was he was fucking livid, dude. It's like. I think the worst thing about it is not only is everybody basically confused, but the crowd has no idea what's going on because mm-hmm. nobody knew what the fucking rules were. Yeah, it's the exact opposite of a hot opener, and it's just it, it's a total mess. So we move on, and uh, instead of a hardcore match, which may have actually worked here because there was a hardcore title match later in the show, I guess they wanted to keep the card clean. We had Crowbar versus Vampiro versus David Flair. Now, okay, you look at this match, Crowbar at least had some decent go in his game still. Mm -hmm. David Flair was a horrible professional wrestler, but at least they tried to make him into a brawler and hang out with Crowbar. So when he did that, he wasn't horrible. Yeah. Vampiro was a giant star in Mexico, but he's even admitted when he came to the U.S., he didn't know how to take basic bumps and shit because he didn't take basic bumps in Mexico. And he was confused half the time. He didn't get U.S. psychology, which led to him having severe concussion issues because he took a bunch of bad bumps and they took a bunch of stupid bumps from Mike Awesome on Super Power Bombs. And then he just kept fucking working. So you have a mix right here that is probably not good on paper at all. Kevin, <laughs> they worked about ten and a half minutes. What did you think of this extravaganza? Um, I just want to revert back to the review that I did back in 2015. I said it was, instead of like one up in each other, it was like they were one downing each other. It was like each person <laughs> tried to, like, kept doing something worse than the last one. It's sloppy. It's like they went for an indie spot fest, but had nothing going for it. It wasn't good. They botched a fair amount. Some things didn't make sense. Like, there's a point where Crowbar lets David Flair pin Vampiro, but then a few minutes later stops him from pinning him. And I'm like, what happened? Why is it different now? Um, I swear I thought everyone was going to get injured at least three or four times. Um, The highlight of the match was Daphne (laughs) at ringside. This is, it's painfully, it's just sloppy spot after sloppy spot after sloppy spot. Um, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, it's like the fucking Vampiro and Crowbar tried to kill each other fucking up a powerbomb. Oh, man. Um, it's like David Flair later in the match, somehow as Ric Flair's son cannot apply a figure four leg lock. It's in his genes. How can he not get that right? I'm, I'm surprised the nail in the coffin at the end came off pretty well. Yeah, and it's just like it it's going it's going and it's going and as you said, it's like it wants to be an indie spot fest in the worst way. But <laughs> A it's like I can forgive no psychology and no real story if there's a ton of good spots and it's at least kind of entertaining. Like it may not be good, but at least I can maybe call it solid. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it's just like, yeah, like you, there was multiple times where I thought people were going to die. Someone would get hurt at the very least. And then it just, it never got good. It started nope. bad. And then I think it went from bad to just one of the worst things you'll ever see. Yeah. And I just sat there and I'm like, okay, everybody's alive is the positive. Daphne's a positive. I almost want to give it a star out of that alone. But <laughs> this is like the definition of a dud. It's fucking horrendous. Yeah. Um. Actually, we did kind of skip over the best thing to happen backstage when Vampiro's getting interviewed. And Masahiro Chono randomly shows up. <laughs> And just yells in Japanese, and then Vampiro shoves him, and nothing comes of it. It's so rushed over. That's WCW for you, though. Dude. It's just like <laughs> I was so I was like Chono, and then he just disappeared. Yeah, it's like one of the weirdest cameos ever on one of these pay per views. It's like, here's Chono. What's up? You're a dick. And <laughs> Did then, they fly him in for this? I, I guess. I should see if he worked like Nitro the next night. I forgot, but it's like, oh my, yeah, I almost forgot about that because it was so random and like you said, nothing happened. <laughs> it was, it felt like it was out of a different show. Oh, uh, so we had a backstage segment with uh, Johnny the Bull and Big Vito, and they're gonna beat up the Harris brothers, and it's not a good promo, and they're talking with their accentuated New York accents, and yeah. I mean, his name is Tony Marinara. Yeah. It's not not good. The former Tony Mama Luke. Yeah. Which probably isn't really any better when you think about him. <laughs> I mean, At least Tony Mama Luke gave me some fun moments in each every taking wild bumps. Tony Marinara is just... Speaking of almost dying, that poor bastard in ECW sometimes. Yeah, that's what I mean. And I remember, not the original ECW, but I remember when Big Show came out at One Night Stand 2006 and just destroyed him with that, like, Cobra Clutch backbreaker and, like, flung him across the ring. So, and then, so we go tag team action, Big Vito and Johnny the Bull versus the Harris Brothers. The Harris Brothers that, for some reason, had jobs for such a long time. And I blame partially Jim Cornette for initially getting them over on Smoky Mountain and selling WWE on them. Yeah, it's like, how can you have this many gimmicks and always be, like, pretty terrible? Jacob and Eli Blue, Creative Control, The Disciples of Apocalypse, The Harris Brothers. It's, uh, they've never been interesting or good. No, and they're not good. And then, like, Johnny the Bull was one of those dudes that did a bunch of cool shit, but he wasn't exactly a good wrestler. Yeah, like he had a good look. Oh, yeah, a great look, and he could do a bunch of cool stuff. And then you have Big Vito, who was the definition of just a dude. Yeah. So you have just a dude, a guy with a great look who can do cool shit, and the horrible Harris brothers. And then they go like nine and a half minutes. And it felt like it was about 19. Mm-hmm. The best part of the whole match is... uh Mike today say it asking which Harris brother is this and Bobby Hina saying the one with no hair. <laughs> yeah. Even when he was uh even when he had phoned it in and stopped caring, Bobby Heena could still deliver once in a while. Yeah, phoned in <laughs> probably in the bag Bobby Heenan at the time was still at least could do that. But it's just like it's a bad match and fucking the the uh big Vito and Johnny the Bull end up winning. Because with help from Disco Inferno accidentally, even though he's with them. 
Yeah, which was a weird angle because like he didn't want them to win, but they won because he was an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like this was. It's not only that this was a bad match, but it felt boring and like like seriously like twice as long than it was. Yeah, and I guess if we're being technical, it's better <laughs> than the last match. But I like, was actually gonna I was gonna say it's technically the match of the night to this point, and yes, it's terrible. And I'm not even saying that it's like one star. Yeah, because it's like sub one star. But I mean, mm-hmm. we're being fair. It was better than the previous match. Yeah, and the opener you can barely even count as a match. Oh, so the at w- this point, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was gonna say at this point, WCW has wasted about 45 minutes of pay per view time. Like nothing has happened. <laughs> no, no, no. The only thing that has happened there are bad things. Yeah. They they they, they make you question life choices when you watch this. So. Yeah, and it gets worse. <laughs> Then we had the WCW Cruiserweight Championship match. Oklahoma versus Medusa. Yep. And if that doesn't sound bad on paper, it's actually worse than it sounds. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma ends up winning in under three minutes. It's still horrendous. There was... He tried to use barbecue sauce. Spice the Nitro Girl was out with Medusa. Asia got involved. There's all this bullshit in three minutes. And there's no disqualification. Nope. Um... I when I a couple a few things here. Uh, first, when I reviewed this, I called it one of the worst things that I've ever seen, and I stand by that. This was truly horrible. Um, the fact that Oklahoma was cruiserweight champion in the first place is like he's not even in the weight class, clearly. Um, and then he retains here, so like the you know she doesn't even get the best of him. I mean, yeah, she puts barbecue sauce on him after, but whatever. Um, and then. Oklahoma, it was uh, played by Ed Ferrara, who went on to become my television writing professor at Full Sail University. Well, I was very surprised to see Ed Ferrara's name there. I'm like, is this the same guy? And I looked it up and it was. And I should have just wrote an episode of Nitro for one of my assignments. I would have got an A+. I mean, the the best thing we can say about Ed Ferrara is he was involved with Duckman back in the day. (laughs) He also, uh, if I remember right, looking at his credentials... He was a writer on the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show that lasted like a season. So I always liked that movie. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it could have been worse with old Ed. But yeah, it's a, the, the stint he had in WCW between working with Russo, Oklahoma, was just horrendous. Mm-hmm. And then Steve and I, we actually went back, and this will run in the next couple of weeks, depending on when this one airs. We went back and reviewed the very first NWA TNA pay-per-view. Uh, which features, about that. features Ed Ferrara and Dreadlocks on commentary. <sighs> Just doing the dirt worst commentary. Everything's a TNA joke. Everything's a sex joke. And it's, just, it's so bad. Yeah, I mean, he was a good professor, but I wasn't a big fan of him and the wrestling industry. Well, I'm glad he was a good professor at the very least. <laughs> okay, he has that and Duckman going for him. So we... There you go, too. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just... I don't know. I mean, I guess like he and Vince Russo thought that this was a genius idea to make fun of Jim Ross and to put him on TV and to give him a championship. And 
It was the exact opposite of that. It was just horrible TV. Yeah. And it's like, the worst part is, is like, the Jim Ross impersonation wasn't even that funny. It wasn't. I mean, it was like, decently like close, but it wasn't funny. Yeah, and it was it was more about him just like shitting on Jim Ross and like yeah. being kind of a fun parody, which you could maybe almost let go if he didn't wrestle. But then yeah, he it'd wrestled. Be like the BWO, they were like a fun parody. Yeah, and they they weren't booked like the fucking NWO though. So I mean, exactly. Yeah, so they had yeah, killer just, theme music too. They did. I always want to do the little blue meanie dance when I hear that music. Not gonna lie. Oh yeah, I remember one of my favorite things was uh, WrestleMania 2000 and Nintendo 64 game. The Titantron videos look, you know, the 64 didn't have great graphics, so it looked like shit. But you could still see like meanie doing the little dance, and I was like, "This is good. This is a good. This is a good game. This is a good game based on this alone." <laughs> yeah, the meanie dance. So the WCW Hardcore Championship was on the line next. Brian Nobbs is our champion. He's facing off with Fit Finley, Finley, Ming, and Screaming Norman Smiley. Screaming Norman is here to save this show. That's right, which it's really interesting <laughs> when you look at this because coming out of this and in the year 2020, Brian Nobbs is just hanging out as Hulk Hogan's friend. Fit Finley, obviously still in the business, working as an agent. Norman mm-hmm. Smiley, one of the more revered coaches at the uh, Performance Center. And obviously also Fitz's son, David, in uh, New Japan doing good work. Mm-hmm. But again, Norman, again, a, uh, a much-praised coach down at the PC, if you ask almost anyone. Yeah. And then uh, Ming, who is just... People love talking about Ming and him killing fools. And he had a great afro. And he gave us... Whether you love him or not, the grill is a destiny. So he tried to contribute to the wrestling business with the sons. So, still a terrifying human being. <laughs> still a terrifying human being. And not going to lie, I marked out whenever they brought him out for like the Rambo and shit because it's Oh, yeah, for sure. When he worked that New Japan Dash show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or New Year Dash, New Year Dash. <laughs> so you have these uh, guys. It's a hardcore match. And at the end of the day, Brian Nobbs won a little bit over six minutes. Um, it wasn't really good. Part of it was they were standing around a lot. Like, they kind of didn't do stuff for a long time. It was really yeah. weird. Yeah, it's like, how does that happen in six minutes with four guys? I mean, you know, they did the, like, WWE hardcore matches never really worked for me because it was kind of just, we're going to hit each other with random weapons for, like, five minutes and nothing ever, like, came of it. You know, WWE had a few good hardcore title matches. WWE never clicked for me except for Norman Smiley, who was, like I said, he saved the show for now. He was always entertaining no matter what. He, he's out in riot gear, too. <laughs> Um, and then I don't know why, but Brian Nobbs and Fit Finley were dressed like the Dudley boys. They had the camo pants and like vest. So I don't know what that was about, but, well, that's uh, new- WCW at the time, dude, just kind of trying to take shots whenever they could. Yeah. Uh, new match of the night though. Still probably not a star, but match of the night. <laughs> I-, I would agree. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> Norman had the ride gear. One of the funner, funner parts of the match was, uh, Finley taking and stealing his helmet. And just yeah. fucking like shoot headbutting him with it. <laughs> and Ming no selling chair shots to the head because no matter what world of wrestling it is, some always have hard heads. Exactly. One of my favorite things they ever did with him was the early stuff when he was with Colonel Rob Parker and he was wearing like the suit and tie. And yeah. they were doing an angle and stuff, and Dusty fucking waffles him with a wooden chair. 
and it explodes over his head and Ming just rips the chair off from Miranda's head and then all the baby faces run in the ring and like drag Dusty away they're like he gonna fucking kill you son <laughs> yeah Ming was I, I always liked Ming like him and the Barbarian used to just squash jobbers and it was amazing oh yeah dude fucking mafia kicks for days killing people yes good stuff. this is the best yeah highlights of early nitros and stuff so again like you said not quite a star but probably match of the night at least it, <laughs> it had a couple entertaining parts and this is where you knew bobby heenan though was in the bag when he called it the best hardcore match he's ever seen yes like the quality of hardcore matches he must have seen <laughs> are and one of the funny things I know uh, it's getting a little ahead I'm not going to talk about the match but I believe during the main event Tony Schiavone is like what a pay-per-view this was and Bobby Heenan is like what a way to start the year and it sounds like a compliment but they never called it a good show it's like what a show this was yeah they're, they're speaking in broad terms so it doesn't sound like <laughs> yeah. they're burying it yeah exactly I thought that was funny so we move like we, we we often when we talk about like pay-per-view reviews and stuff Kev, we talk about card positioning yeah. uh a bad move next was the bunkhouse match between billy kidman and perry saturn because mm-hmm. why would you book a bunkhouse match right after a hardcore match yeah there's i mean first of all to fix the card placement i'd cut like <laughs> several matches yeah um, i mean <laughs> I would yeah, probably cut nine of those matches, it. yeah. <laughs> it's a really weird spot for this. And then it doesn't get helped by there's like no weapons used in this match. I think there's two. <laughs> yes, yeah, the weirdest thing. So Billy Kidman wins at about 10 minutes. Uh, uh, Perry Saturn's farewell to the company along with uh, Dean Malenko's in the earlier match since they're going to be gone. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird card placement. Again, it's... It's not good. Uh, we remembered things like you can't powerbomb Billy Kidman in this match. Yeah, because classic. that's um that's just one of those roles in wrestling. Like just uh, don't headbutt a Samoan. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's like written documented rules. I mean, I'm not making this shit up. Uh, Billy Kidman ends up winning, and um, again, it's not good in any way. It's it's kind of okay. It's better than the previous stuff, but as yeah. Kevin said, it's like they didn't use the gimmick at all. It wasn't even a really good brawl, and um, you know Perry Saturn again. I think he knew he was on the way out. I'm not gonna quite say he dogged it, but Perry Saturn wouldn't give it a hundred percent in this match. No, not at all. And uh, you know, it like you said, it's they didn't really use the gimmick. It was a bunkhouse match that. I think had one table spot and that was it. Everything else was just like two guys going out to work a house show match or an, or, you know, a nitro match, like at the end of hour one that nobody cares. Uh, it's just, it's really basic. Um, like you said, though, new match of the night, I guess I wouldn't go much more than a star, but, or, you know, much like maybe a star and a half, but it's just, it's wildly basic, but at least they didn't do anything like offensively bad. The worst part is, is like you get halfway into this match and you sit there and you go to yourself, like you're looking at your format. You're like, oh, hey, this is a bunkhouse match. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, why haven't they done anything? Yeah, like, it, they might as well. Like this was more catch as catch can. <laughs> <laughs> it lasted five times as long, too. So. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and that's like the worst part is you get to this point and you realize there's still half a card to go. There's still six matches left at this point. It is... Something else. Booker T and Stevie Ray up next. Um, they're just 
they're they're feuding. The brothers don't get along. They had brought in Midnight at this time to hang out with Booker T. Yeah, that was a, a choice. Yeah, that was a choice. Uh, that's kind of the best <laughs> way to put it. And yeah, you would think that after years of working together and the fact that they were brothers that. Booker T and Stevie Ray may have some kind of chemistry. And then you kind of add into the equation that while Booker T is really good, Stevie Ray was always really bad. Mm-hmm. And then they go like six minutes and it's a DQ because we have to have outside interference, Kev, by who? <laughs> Fat Ahmed Johnson. Big T in the house. Yeah, I'm not one to body shame, but yeah, Ahmed Johnson came out looking much more plump than he was in WWE and in a tight, tight shirt. Um, it wasn't a good look where he did not look intimidating at all. Ahmed was large and in charge here for sure. He was very big. He was pretty much big his entire short WCW run. And this leads to the formation of the new Harlem Heat, Stevie Ray and Big T, which would famously later lead mm-hmm. to the feud where Booker T loses the Harlem Heat theme music and also loses the rights to the letter T. The one day he became G.I. Booker, bro. That's right. He became G.I. Bro for a short <laughs> while. And then out of nowhere, that led to the Russo-Hogan shoot where Booker T won the world title. And Yeah, you watch Holy this and you shit. if somebody told you that this guy who came out and his attire was atrocious... Um, he had like long pants, like long pants that were seemingly leather, and then they connected to like a tank top. It was bad. But if you looked at this match and somebody told you that guy would be this company's champion in you know half a year, you'd be like, "You're an idiot." Uh, I mean, it is WCW, but uh, yeah, this only goes what six and a half minutes, and I think Stevie Ray did like four wrestles. <laughs> yeah, sir, no joke, constant wrestles because he got oh, blown man. up. He yeah. never had cardio, man. Also, shout out to the uh, the pre-match video package where Tony Schiavone is like, here's a video of Stevie Ray going back to the hood. Like, he says it just like that. Going <laughs> yes. back to the hood. And it's like, what is happening? This show is ridiculous. It, it's bad and weird in all the wrong ways. Yeah, Tony Schiavone. And, like, the worst part is, like, Tony's trying to be serious because, it, I mean, he had checked out. But he was trying to do his job. Yeah. And he's like, and here's video of Stevie Ray going back to the hood. Like, <laughs> My, like he's uh, shooting to fucking Karen at the news desk for World News. Yeah. Um, I have a, like a few years ago, there was a podcast that I used to listen to and they were reviewing a WCW show. And the guy said, Tony Schiavone was the pizza of announcing. Even when he's bad, he's still pretty good. <laughs> Uh, I, not wrong. This is not. Yeah, like even even when I don't care about social, I'm like, okay, he doesn't sound like offensively bad or anything. He's just there. Yeah, but it's just this. Yeah. this match though <laughs> is just a. Again, we're going back down. It's it's a bad match, and just yeah. it, it, seriously, three or four times, like Stevie Ray decided, I need to ground the action. We need to slow it down, brother. Yep. <laughs> it's like either he was tired or he was completely fucking lost. Or he yeah. just didn't know what to do. And it's like, I don't know what the hell happened, but atrocious yeah. wrestling match. And then we get a match where you go, why was this on pay-per-view? But yes, in WCW 2000, Jerry Flynn and Tank Abbott were on pay-per-view. Flynn got no reaction from the crowd. 
yeah, this poor dude, he never really got a reaction. He he tried, and, like, Jerry Flynn was at least, like, a jobber with kind of a gimmick as the karate dude. Mm-hmm. And, like, he wasn't exactly horrible, but it's, like, as you said, nobody cared about him because he was a dude that would show up and look like a badass one week and then get his ass beat for three months. The main reason I remember him was because... I think I read his name in like a pro wrestling illustrator or something and I misread or I heard it I think somewhere and I thought WCW had signed Jerry Lynn and I was like wait he's like he's fighting RVD or something and I just remember getting those two names confused and that's the only reason why I remember Jerry Flynn. I know it's it's amazing so they proceed to have one of the worst 90 second matches you'll ever see and yeah. I, I, I'm not saying that. It's like Jerry, it's like to just say it. I mean, Jerry Flynn comes out to no reaction. Mm-hmm. They try to fight. They try some striking. They try some submissions. None of them really work really well. Yep. And then Tank Abbott is supposed to knock him out for the finish. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, Tank Abbott, I know that when you're a trained real life striker and you have to pull your punches. Sometimes they end up looking like shit. Like we yeah. saw when Tyson Fury came in and threw some like really bad punches. But he's a trained pugilist. He's trying not to break somebody's nose like Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. But I mean, hey, Big Show will tell you, you know, Floyd Mayweather busting his nose did great business for them and he didn't care. Absolutely. But I mean, you know, so you know, Tyson Fury comes and throws bad punches, but at least like he has some life to him when he threw him, so I can allow yeah. that. Tank Abbott proceeds to go for a knockout punch, not once, but twice. Kevin, what happened with these punches? He completely whiffs. It's like he misses badly, and then Flynn has to act like he's knocked out, and that's your finish. And the best part is Mike Tanay tells like everybody that there's a 10 count so we can see who's knocked out. But then the referee just looks like raises the arm and is like, well, that's it. Match over. It's how do the referees and commentary, they've been so off all night. Like even in the first, the catch is catch can match. The second Malenko stepped out the ring. Tony Schiavone's like, that's a disqualification. And it takes Charles Robinson maybe another 40 seconds to call the DQ. It's like, how are you this off? Like, how is nobody in line with each other? Apparently they tore up the format sheet like when TNA debuted on Monday nights and Eric Bischoff Ooh, tore up the format sheet. It's edgy. That's right. We're <laughs> shooting, brother. Swerve, bro. And so next up, it, it doesn't get much better. I, I guess like maybe technically it's a better match. Mm-hmm. We had a last man standing match between Buff Bagwell and Diamond Dallas Page and... The whole impetus of this feud is Diamond Dallas Page thinks Kimberly is cheating on him with Buff. So they're going to fight. Yeah. They basically sold this as a no referee, last man standing kind of whatever no rules match. Yeah. It went. But there, did it, was there, there was a ref, right? I was going to say there was a referee. Yeah. They sold it as that, but it's like. It's, like, again, nobody knows what's going on. Yeah, so it's just like, uh, I was going to say, they, they, they totally confused me with all that shit. Mm-hmm. They proceeded to go, and, like, the sad part is, like, DDP and WCW was really, really good at times. Yeah. And DDP usually always worked really hard. Agreed. And then you got Buff Bagwell. <laughs> who is a giant douchebag in real life, I will tell you. <laughs> 
He seems like it. Oh, he's absolutely horrible. So this proceeded to go for what seemed like an hour. Yeah. It was about 12 long minutes. And Kevin, what is the finish of this gloriously long bad match? Well, let's just say that it's easily the worst finish I've ever seen to a uh, last man standing match. Um, DDP and you know Buff are fighting in the ring, and you know DDP is about to be down after I think he got hit by like a nightstick or something. Yeah, and he gets up right at the count of nine, and then hits the diamond cutter, and that itself is like kind of a cool dramatic like thing to do. And then Kimberly runs out, and we hear the bell ring because Buff Bagwell got up from the diamond cutter while DDP stayed on the floor. And that was the finish of the match. <laughs> it's like, it. I don't, I don't even understand how that happens. I, I don't either. Yeah, and like you said, like, in theory, they were working towards a good finish because... DDP survives like the he survives the uh, like the blockbuster and like the the fucking baton and all that shit, and then he does this like dramatic fighting spirit up at nine and yeah. then hits his finish and you're like okay that's kind of cool and then it wasn't yeah they had a few good ideas in the match like when they threw the two big big computer monitors at each other and they like crashed like that was a, a decent idea you can see that DDP had some plans for this. Because that feels like all DDP, you know, is his meticulous planning. Um, but it just never came together. And like you said, it goes maybe 12 minutes or so, but it just feels closer to 45. And then that finish just makes it all feel like, why did I just watch this? And then, the, like, the worst part is, is, you know, Kimberly comes out. DDP beats the shit out of Buff Bagwell. <laughs> and then he leaves with Kimberly. Who isn't happy about any of this. Yeah, it's like, what What are you even doing? You How am I supposed know? to root for either one of these people? It's like everybody in this feud is an asshole. <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh, so man. We, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a bad match. I mean, if we're talking ratings, it, it may be a star. Yeah, it's, it's, right, it's a little less for me than the bunkhouse match, um, but yeah. It's not good. So then we go on to our our third Billy Kidman match, Caged Heat. And this is basically WCW's ripoff of Hell in a Cell. Yeah. And this is Billy Kidman facing It's the Wall, brother. Oh, man. Could you imagine? I think this was WCW's first Caged Heat match. And it's like, imagine if WWE wasted their first Hell in a Cell on a mid-card, barely mid-card match. Yeah, it's like no disrespect, but it's like uh, let's try to think of somebody like, like X Pac versus fucking D'Lo. Yeah, like I when I wrote my review, I think I used like Owen Hart because I was trying to use somebody like Kidman who's good and in the mid card, and then I said like Farouk. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's just it doesn't have the same appeal as Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. And the crowd's reaction, Shane Douglas did this long build-up promo to introduce the wall, and everyone was like, oh, the wall. Cool. Yeah, it's, uh, at the very least, they should have played, like, the Hogan clip from Nitro. It's the wall, brother. Yeah, put him over. So it's like, but yeah, Shane, like you said, Shane Douglas comes out and kind of, he tries to give this big dramatic introduction, and it's like, yeah. okay, like, is it going to be somebody cool? What are we getting? And it's like, it's it, it's the wall. Yeah, they needed to put uh instead of the wall, bring back the Yeti. Yeah, so 
So they they drag out this fucking giant enclosed cage for Billy Kidman in the wall. Yeah. And it goes five minutes. Yeah, I don't. And then to top it all off, the wall wins. You know, he uh, he caught basically like a diving Billy Kidman with a choke slam. And it just makes you think, what was the point of the triple threat theater if Billy Kimmel was just going to lose? Also, even if Billy Kimmel won, I don't know if I ever heard, what does Kidman get for running this like gauntlet? Like, Would he be added to the main event? Was he getting a title shot on Nitro the next night? I have no unearthly clue, Kevin. But it's Okay. Just, <laughs> I the, thought I missed something. No, I, I don't remember there being anything specified on the, on the uh, line for young William Kidman. He just... Uh, <laughs> I guess if he survived, he was going to get a job years later in WWE. And he could marry Tori Wilson, something like that. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, hey, God bless Billy Kidman. He survived WCW. He survived being booked as nothing in WWE, and he now has a cushy job with benefits. Yeah, so hey, it worked out. I mean, maybe that's what he got for this, for running three matches on sold out. Yeah, Triple H looked at him like, listen, I was watching the network the other night and watched Sold Out. And, Christ, Billy, I'm sorry. We, we figured we could give you a job. I mean, do you want to time out shows, be an agent, help out, work in developmental? <laughs> That's why so many people on this card have jobs. You got Norma Smiley, Finley. They had to work this show. It's just, but yeah, it's like, if you're going to fucking basically steal Hell in a Cell... At least try to put something good on. And, like, obviously you would have had to have good people in it. But then only giving it five minutes in the middle of this show to trot it out. And, like, not like this show had any momentum, but to totally halt any momentum it had. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> uh I don't know, dude. It's just, you sit there and you think it might be okay, and then it kind of keeps getting worse, and it... Yeah, also, I want to point out that they ran a, what was the previous match? A last man standing, then the KHT, and then the next match is a hardcore match. Yeah, another <laughs> hardcore style match, but this one was for the right to be the WCW commissioner. Yeah. And it featured Kevin Nash facing off with Terry Funk. Mike Tanay, of all people, talks about how this is a battle for the future of WCW. And I know he was talking about it because it was the commissioner's job. <laughs> but when you got, God bless his soul, I love him, old Terry Funk in there with Kevin Nash, who was already past his prime, calling it a battle for the future just feels really horrible. Yeah, like he had to know that there was irony in what he was saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like to think that Mike Tanay was fucking with everybody at this point, too. Oh, yeah. Like, he, you know, they probably were doing that so much. You go back and watch old Nitros, they're just shitting on the show casually. I, I don't know. So Kevin Nash wins this match in about eight minutes. How would you best describe this match, Kev? Um, I would. It was. I get the story they were trying to go for. Like most of this is Kevin Nash beating the shit out of Terry Funk, and Terry Funk takes a beating better than a lot of people. So I get that idea. You know, he kept fighting back. Like he didn't want to give up the um, commissionership. Like there was a point where. He went through a table and Kevin Ash was like, all right, you stay out there. If you get back in the ring or what was it? If you stay out there or something, I'll let, or if you can get back, if in you the can ring. get your ass back in the ring, I'll let you keep the job basically. Yeah. And then of course, once Funk gets in there Nash says he's lying and then continues to beat on him. And it kind of just ultimately went nowhere. It never felt 
dramatic the way that it needed to, you know, for the story they were trying to tell. And Nash just wins with a jackknife onto open chairs. So it just, it was kind of just a match, even though they had an idea seemingly for something more. Yeah, Terry Funk took, like you said, even in the year 2000, Terry Funk could sell and take a beating better than like 90% of that roster at the time. I saw him in 2006. My eye, Mick. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, what Terry Funk did was great because he sold everything really well, but it felt really long because it's just kind of Kevin Nash beating the shit out of him. Terry Funk t- takes a ton of punishment. He gets busted open. I thought he was going to die on the finish. Yeah. And then you got, like, the worst part is, like, Terry Funk is moving more briskly than Kevin Nash in this match. He really was. So, it, again, it's, um, I love Terry Funk. I love everything he tried to do to put this match over. It's, unfortunately, another bad match. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's a, it's a, maybe a one star, and that one star was Terry Funk. Yeah, because he, he tried so hard, and, and like you said, the story did make sense. It's just that it, Nash's beating the shit out of him just felt like it. It kind of lacked an intensity to it. Like yeah. I'm just kind of gonna beat the shit out of this guy, la 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 la, and mm-hmm. like Terry Funk brought like all the energy and effort to it. Yeah, like maybe had he been in there with the, I don't know if there was if you had one, I don't want to use the wall, but, you know, like a younger big guy who can give the beating and put something behind it, you know, then it would have worked better. But yeah, Nash didn't care enough to put any effort into it. So it was like, Funk is selling it like he's getting destroyed, but Nash is doing like the bare minimum. So just, it didn't click. No, but God bless Terry Funk. You got to love that, man. Yeah, he tried. So, Arn Anderson was interviewed. He uh, was not happy about Kevin Nash being commissioner, um, basically, because it was going to be bad. You know, Arn basically shooting without shooting. <laughs> yeah, he stumbled in the promo, too. Like, he said he called him Kevin Mann instead of Kevin Nash and, like, stopped and regrouped and said, all right, let me get this back together. <laughs> yeah, a rare slip from Arn. I think he was trying yeah. to actually not bury him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then that led to our main event for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Chris Benoit facing off with Big Sid Vicious. And, you know, it's it's Sid in 2000 who wasn't exactly good. Benoit was obviously still great at this point. Yeah. Um, You know, you look at this and it's like, okay, it, it, may, it may be good. And maybe Benoit can get the crowd into this because people wanted to see Benoit succeed. Yeah. And you think, okay, if Benoit is really good and if Sin maybe tries a little bit and the crowd's into it, this might succeed. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I don't think any of that happened here. I no, mean, uh, I'm not going to say Chris Benoit wasn't trying and working hard, but the rest of it just didn't happen. Yeah, and uh, they did. they tried their best to... Or sorry, they made it seem like this was a big match. They had like the big introduction of Michael Buffer. They had the roster come out to watch it, which is pretty funny to see like David Flair come out to watch it when he's supposed to be this insane dude. Um, you know, it just, just wasn't just fitting of his character. A, just taking in a professional grappling match on his off time. That's all. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and you know, they try to make it feel like a big deal, but it never did. There were some cool moments. Um, I will give it that. Basically, Benoit drop kicking the steel steps into Sid's leg was great. Like I need to see more of that because that looked like it hurt. Um, but then they kept 
selling it as or building up Sid as a guy who's never going to give up. You know, he's never going to give up this opportunity. And then the second he gets put in the crawl space, he tapped instantly. Yes. And then, of course, this is all leading. Chris Benoit wins the championship. But as we mentioned, this is leading to the Radicals all leaving. Yeah. So the gimmick was that Sid's foot was under the bottom rope. And... Obviously, WCW main event. God forbid we have a fucking clean finish here. But they, <laughs> this was their out so that they could, quote-unquote, strip Benoit the championship because he was leaving. And it's just... It ends up being just a bad match that went about 15 minutes and just never really clicked. Like like Kevin said, there were some, there were some cool moments. I liked a couple things they tried to do, but... I never felt that the crowd was into it, despite what Tony Schiavone tried to tell us. God bless him for trying, though. Yeah, um, that man tried, just like Terry Funk. Yeah, and you know, Ben was working hard, obviously, but Sid was very limited in what he could do. And the other thing was, like, watching Sid Vicious sell, like, for eighty percent of the match, probably not like the best theory to go with. He's not yeah. exactly Ricky Morton, and that <laughs> closes out this show. And again. It, it leads to the the radicals leaving and showing up in WWE and and started a string of like I believe it's somewhere like twenty title change world title changes in two thousand. Yeah, I just want to note that uh, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, obviously, um, Jan- this was January sixteenth after Benoit was you know vacated it because he left. Sid won it by beating the Harris brothers. Only to then have it stripped of him the next night because he pinned the wrong Harris brother, as if anyone could tell that. Yes, and that just starts that string of wonderful title <laughs> fuckery for WCW in yeah. 2000. It's like one of the most embarrassing times for, like, I grew up, man, I mean, I love the original 10 Pounds of Gold, the NWA title, but like, yeah. man, let me tell you, when I was in college and like I was growing up and I decided, like, when I was going to grow up and have money, if I ever bought a replica belt, I always wanted Big Goldie. Yeah, Big Gold is awesome. Because that was like my, like my kind of like my championship. Because it was so associated with flair and everything. And then to see it, like, I mean, they might as well have taken it out and taken a shit on it like 30 times in 2000 with how they booked it. Just so bad. And the scary, you know, the sad thing is, is you look at the WCW roster at that time, it wasn't a bad roster. They still had talent, even when they lost the Radicals. But mm-hmm. just the booking and creative and company management was a complete clusterfuck. Yep. And, you know, it's just they had, like you you said, uh, the talent was kind of it was pretty much there. You know, there were always pieces, but it's it just it never came together. And it, 2000 was just a just a massive mess. Uh, looking at the longest title reign of the year was Sid for 76 days, and he lost it when they rebooted everything, like going into Spring Stampede, because like all the titles were vacated then. Yeah. But Steve, other than Steve that, and I did that. We actually reviewed that show a long while ago, mm-hmm. and I, I remember we were going to do that, because people were like, yeah, you should redo that show. It's a great show. It's not. It's totally not. It's horrible. It's not. It's bad. <laughs> What's the matter, Sid? Forgot your scissors? <laughs> and then nobody reacts, so Bischoff has to say it again because it's a little too inside. <laughs> yeah, this is not 2019 where we know everything that happens backstage. Oh God! So yeah, it's um, WCW man, um, sold out 2000. It's a, 
It's a show, Kev. What are your thoughts overall? Score out of ten. I, I, we got it. We got to give the wrap up on this. <laughs> um, I think I'm sticking with my original score. Uh, I give this a zero out of ten. I don't find anything about this show redeeming. It's not one of those shows that's uh, like bad. It's so bad it's good. It's so bad that it comes back around and is bad again. <laughs> Literally, the best thing on the card, if I'm looking at my star ratings, was a star and three quarters. For 12 matches, I gave out a combined four and a half stars, maybe. And I gave Oklahoma Medusa the negative five. There you go. So it's like... <laughs> it's, yeah, this is truly terrible TV. Like, even looking at some of WCW's pay-per-views from that year, Bash at the Beach is one. It's a bad show. But there's things throughout it that I enjoy because it's kind of goofy. Like, there's a point where Disco Inferno is trying to sneak back into the arena and he's using a mask to do so, but he's still dressed the same way. Uh, the um, I think it's the Jung Dragons are like sneak attacking Ernest Miller throughout the show. It's all like goofy fun. This has none of that. This is just bad. And, and on top of the bad wrestling, the points we brought up and that you, you brought up first was it felt like nobody knew what the fuck was going on in terms mm-hmm. of like referees, announcers, the crowd didn't know because they weren't informed. It just, it felt like, it felt like, like if you and I were like, hey, let's put on a wrestling show tomorrow. Yeah, with no that, planning and we're in two different states and we have to try to make it work and then we're like everything comes together within maybe 24 hours and then we might pull a show off but it might not be any fucking good because we have like no clue what the fuck we're doing yeah there's stipulation matches thrown all over the place at random none of them really made good use of it there's a really bad finish to the last man standing match um Tank Abbott knocks somebody out by not hitting him. He's so strong that the wind knocks him out. That's <laughs> Dimalenko loses a match by leaving the ring. Yeah, and it, it is bad. And I sat there and I looked back on this and I was like, I remembered it was really, really bad. Went back and rewatched it, and we were joking before we went on the air. It's like you know, it's like I think in the first like, or it's like I think for the overall show, I gave like five or six stars, maybe. Yeah, And it's just like, and that may be generous at this point, but yeah, you look back on it, it's just, it's such a string of bad. Like, there's a couple yeah. little things that you may chuckle at, but nothing on this show is ever good. Yeah, it, It's all bad, the card's laid out poorly, everybody's fucking confused. 14,000 people there that don't give a shit, and who could blame them? Yeah. I mean, like... please don't blame the crowd, folks, because this is bad. Yeah, and like I know people like to complain about wrestling nowadays, but WWE, even the worst Saudi Arabia show is better than this. Yeah, yeah, and, and hey, <laughs> this comes from somebody that is not a big fan of those shows. I will admit that freely, Kev, you are correct. Agreed, yeah. I think the lowest I've gone on a Saudi show is like a two, so I mean, you're correct. Yeah. It's like, so again, I watched this back and I'm like, it can't possibly be that bad, and unfortunately it was. And it was maybe even a little worse than I remember. And I know some people are going to go, well, 2020 eyes, blah, blah, blah. No, it's just bad professional wrestling is bad professional wrestling. I'm not reviewing something from 1977 where I'm not there in the moment and can't appreciate the context. This is just bad, disorganized wrestling where nobody knows what they're doing. And I, when I was done, I was like, I kind of want to give this show like a one. But then I'm <laughs> thinking it's like, it doesn't even average out to like half a star a match. Yeah, because there's like you know, twelve fucking matches. There's twelve matches. I think two of them got maybe a star for me, and then there's that mind that negative like couple matches going to the dip into the negative for me. So it's like that that negates them. Yeah, so it's like uh, you know, and everybody likes to go here is wrestling worst wrestling show of all time, but 
Brother, this one is right up there. I have to agree with Kevin. This is a big goose egg for me. It's yeah, horrendous. And at least, like, you know, I know Heroes of Wrestling is bad, but this is like, that was kind of a one-off, you know, something yeah, like this that. this is allegedly a professional company running a show. Yeah, like, it. how can this be? It's no one, I can't believe they survived another year when you look at a show like this. <laughs> it's It's amazing that they did survive another year, but I don't know. It's yeah. um, it, it's it's some all time bad stuff there. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I'm, I was curious, so I went to cage match. This show actually somehow got a. There's only 20 votes on it though, but it has like a 3.3 cumulative rating. So wow, kind of shocked by that, but yeah, people are just generous. They're nice. <laughs> some of the comments are funny. Like. This isn't nearly as bad as like the Spring Stampede show or blah blah blah. It's at least a five. And it's like like you're saying that like it's a good thing though. It's like, <laughs> it's, like it's not as bad as this awful show. It's just really bad. It's like I don't know. But yeah, that's um that's some peak WCW badness for sure, Kev. Yeah, this is the lowest that I've seen from WCW. I mean, I haven't seen everything from 2000. I'm sure if I go back there, some that are comparable. But yeah, this is this is rough. So it's um it's bad. Kevin, thank you again for joining me. I always appreciate it. Of course, even though yesterday I I think halfway through I got up to use the bathroom and I was like I have to finish this awful show and I brought this upon myself. <laughs> But that's that's all right. It was still it, every once in a while you need a cathartic bad show to rant about. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people like it when you you know there's a terrible show that we can all agree is real bad. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It puts into context even like you know some WWE like even the regular pay per views. Some of the shows may feel solid and skippable, but at least you're not getting this. Yeah. Because for as bad as, like, I didn't like Hell in a Cell, because I, I thought Seth, Seth and the Fiend was just some atrocious stuff. But at least it wasn't 12 matches of, like, one star under shit. There was at least some good stuff here and there. So, yeah, kind of kind of cherish what we have in 2020, Kev. Before we go, uh, hit out the Patreon info and everything so everybody can not follow you. Of course, on Twitter, it's at the underscore Kevsta, K-E-V-S-T-A-A-A. And then Patreon's the same thing, patreon.com slash the underscore Kensta. Uh, still doing those retro reviews, weekly reviews of Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown. Uh, my latest retro review was ECW, Living Dangerously 2000, and that is another kind of a clusterfuck of a show. So definitely worth uh, reading, I think. Awesome. So, yeah, again, thank you, Kev. Uh, make sure you guys follow Kevin. This will wrap up uh, this week's episode of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show. Share us around on social media. And if you have time, um, just uh, make sure you also subscribe on YouTube and everything. And uh, leave a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choice. And we will talk to you another time.